welcome back to Downtime with Deeds. Featuring Savvy. Hi, I'm Deeds. Hi, I'm Savvy. How you been, Savvy? Uh, I've been good. Uh, I've been traveling recently and it was really enriching. Um, it brought back a whole lot of zest for life for me. I wasn't <laughs> feeling like down or sad, but I was just kind of in this in-between phase of like, I want to go places, but I don't know where I want to go. And with this recent bit of travel, I was able to just feel that I wanted to go do that more. And so it just kind of brought that inspiration and want to travel more just to the forefront in my mind. And it was, it was really good. Exciting. So So go by going places, you don't mean career existentially but like actually traveling to said places <laughs> well i mean career wise that that would be nice eventually okay. but um at this point in time i'm more so just thinking about where i want to travel to next next time i get a little bit of chance and time to run off and go on a little adventure yeah it reignited my passion for traveling alone because i've traveled with people before and it's lovely but i also really love traveling by myself because it gives me that space to do what i want to Granted, it is more dangerous, and I do have to be yeah. more mindful of my space, and it is all under my own expenses, which I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> old, old, old man savvy comes out when yeah. it comes to money. It's just like, oh, I don't want to pay $20 for that, but fine, okay. Um, but it just, it, it reignited that love for travel by myself, Aww. because... If I'm if I set out like a plot line for my day and I don't follow the timelines that I set mm-hmm. for myself because I'm having a really good time here mm-hmm. and I want to spend more time here or I've yeah. discovered that I am not enjoying this at all. I'd like to go home now. You get to choose everything yeah. and you don't have to worry about ruining someone else's time. Yeah, and I don't also have to perpetually think about what the other person is thinking and if they're like good if they're having a good time if they're stressed or if they're hungry mm-hmm. or if they're drinking enough water all that stuff so it's just kind of nice for me to get reconnected with myself and traveling by myself so it was it was just a really good time and while you were doing that yeah the first chapter i'm calling them chapters oh, they're yeah, episodes sure. but i'm calling them chapters because they're like chapters in the life story <laughs> uh while you were traveling the first chapter premiered yeah the the art for the show premiered yeah it looks great it really does your sister did an amazing job on that i know i know i know i'm when i see someone talented and skilled i'm like you know what i don't even like to use the word talented because some people be like oh you're born talented you don't have to do the hard work no Mm -hmm. every single artist in the world are very skilled they have worked and worked to perfect their craft, oh, absolutely. and our artwork looks incredible. It looks yeah. it looks oh more professional. It made me feel like, oh, this is actually happening. <laughs> this is an actual thing we're doing. Wow. Okay. This is these are ideas because I I just like I came to oh, I I want to I want to say like what I like did, but I just like came to her with a generic general idea, and she like put so much life into it. Yeah. And oh, it blew me away, but. Yeah. Go on. What did you? What were your thoughts on the first chapter? <laughs> the first chapter was really good. Um, I granted we we didn't finish like certain sentences because I know that's us in our little, <laughs> little little brains having a time there. But it was really good to be able to hear it and see it actually finally in its full form and just out into the universe. It's mm. there. We've we've we birthed it in a way. But it's it's <laughs> out there now and it's 
it's doing its own thing and I hope people have been learning and have just been enjoying it and yeah it's just wonderful to see it out ah, there. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about listening to your own voice? I'm not too surprised by my own voice at this point. Usually I hear a lot of people say that, oh, I hate the sound of my own voice. Mm, me. No. <laughs> <laughs> me in the first episode. I mean, no, I understand that. For me, it's when I sing, I'm like, who said that? Who thought you would sing? But no, talking, talking is fine for me. Oh, uh, so okay. It was, it was good. I thought it was really well done you did an excellent job with all of the editing and all that fun stuff you told them i'm the editor hey. <laughs> now they know oh i didn't know it was a top secret file honestly like i didn't i don't have as much experience as you and Kay with uh who is our assistant producer with like being a podcast connoisseur i, I don't have that much experience mm-hmm. yeah so i i didn't really have anything to go off of of how to edit a podcast um i think i had a little bit of fun with sound effects no (laughs) i tried to make it tasteful but it was really hard to pull back and i i can i understand the temptation to make it all cheesy and also like fun but also is this cheesy or is it actually just fun is it really is it really good it sparked a lot of joy in me the little downtime with deets thing yeah for sure uh uh future deets downtime with deets <laughs> uh, yeah, I um, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and yeah, I'm absolutely. and I'm glad you loved your caricature art. Yeah, it was, on you, she's a phenomenal artist. You gave us some. You gave you sent some um, photos of yourself yeah. to her, and then you just gave your favorite colors that you would like it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you want to get art done by her, you should definitely reach out if that's an yeah at Desi Doodles really incredible person and i am 100 percent bias yeah and i and i hired her one because she was good but a lot of nepotism (laughs) it's my sister like i I had an opportunity to like you know give like a professional contract to another artist in the family and we're rare so i'm just like yeah you you got it i wouldn't even call it necessarily nepotism i would say that that was just more of a you saw the opportunity you love her art you figure you put it out there. If you can spread the knowledge of her beautiful works, then yeah. why not? <laughs> All these levels of just like, let's get people, let's break down the walls, let's do things for the first time, but also let's bring people with us yeah. as we do it. There's no, oh, I have to be perfect and I, I have to be at this like level before I can start like giving people opportunities. It's very, hey, I'm, I'm new to this. Um, I'm going to flub up. I'm not going to be the most professional person. I'm going to evolve. Would you like to come with me on this, like, rickety journey, right? Yeah, it's uplifting the community. If you're in, like, if you're a shaky lamb and you're surrounded by a bunch of other shaky lambs, then maybe you'll be able to, like, cross the road together and feel less scared and go forward and just kind of go. The shakiness is just hydraulics getting Yeah, you're you're getting used to it. There's always a little bit of turbulence upon takeoff in a flight, right? Yeah, yeah. So... With that little bit of shakiness, soon you'll be cruising up in the sky. It's going to be fine. Or we'll stay really close to Earth. It'll be like a nice soft hover, but it's still things being created and put out there, which is great. All that to say, I was editing it for 24 hours because I just don't know how to edit things. Did you just sit there for the full 24 hours? No, no. I I, I, I spread it out over a week. Okay, (laughs) because if you're sitting there for 24 hours straight, I understand the dedication is phenomenal, but... But what what I really took from that was, yes, 
This is be a person who does things they're not trained in and scared yeah. about and just do it because yeah. why not? Just take that step forward despite the fear that you're still there. It's, you still can walk, but it doesn't mean the mm-hmm. fact that like it doesn't make the path not scary, right? I recognized I didn't do enough of the care before the start of that episode. Mm-hmm. Felt very... Uh, like weight of responsibility that okay. kind of stopped me from being grounded as much towards the end I I became more grounded yes that being said before getting into this me and Savvy decided to um, have some snacks yes have have some booster juice smoothie not sponsored it, it was too tasty <laughs> um, make sure we have water and we also did some vocal warm-ups yes it was it was a little time I even went to the washroom and as I was in the washroom I was still making sounds I'm like I wonder how many people are wondering what what are they doing in there yeah <laughs> I uh, I did some vocal warm-ups in the stairwell and it like echoed everywhere it, it freaked me out while you were in the bathroom and yeah. I was like oh wait a minute I go whoop um, um. <laughs> <laughs> jinx I was going to ask you yeah. uh, how have you been oh uh, crazy oh uh, just just like again when you edit yourself for so many uh, hours yeah. in theater which I'm more versed in you mm-hmm. just kind of rehearse and you do the thing but you never see yourself doing the thing oh, okay yeah. you just exist within it so it's I don't know less embarrassing or less like you I have less times to be judgmental towards oh, okay, myself okay, right yeah, yeah. So I think I was crazy, but I was also worried and nervous because I was very proud of what was happening. Okay. And, and really, really, really just like so excited for this particular project, but then extremely nervous because oh, I care yeah. about it so much. So I, I've put in that I've put out many things that have been personal to me. Most of my work is personal to me in some way, but I've never felt this amount of nervousness because, I don't know, I was always able to separate that, like, not all theater or stories or film or music is for everyone. Yeah, that's But true. for podcasts, it's just something where it's so you. It's just yeah. you being you. And it's not a character or an ego or something you put on to do the thing, as we said. <laughs> do the thing. We're just doing the thing as ourselves. So I think yeah. I felt a little bit nervousness of having that being seen that's by fair. the public yeah no that's fair because it's, it's you talking about your family yeah. and your family sharing their history so it's very naked if that makes sense definitely definitely and um a major thing that happened um as we were getting into the first episode and recording it the month prior i just had um went to my grandpa's celebration of life so we had a loss in the family, and me and Savvy kind of touched on it, but since the start of this podcast, the actual, like, of receiving the grant and getting things going, there have been, at least for me personally, I'll speak for myself, there have been a, quite a few losses in my family. The resurgence of losing people again and again, it builds. So I was in an interesting place around that time yeah. getting the podcast going, mm-hmm. but the reason why I'm speaking on that again is in the last week when I was just in my little... <laughs> neurose bubble of editing yeah. <laughs> and judgmental and trying to be kind and all those things and really being like oh your voice is so nasally that's not how you sound it's so different from the interview voice um uh someone who i care about passed away in that week 
I'm not saying the name because I don't have permission from the family. They are someone who has been a mentor to many people close to me, who I thought of as a friend, who I thought of as a person who laid down and broken open the door for so many of us Indigenous peoples in the arts community, in theater and dance particularly. I'm not in dance, but they were a mentor in that. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of love for this person. My deepest condolences to you because you were going through all this, these losses that just keep... They compound. They compound and it it doesn't get any easier. Like each loss is going to hit you differently and it still sucks. I am so sorry that this is something that seems to be happening right now for you, but... I always advocate that these things need to be talked about in commonplace. Mm -hmm. Because I I think in Western society, more Eurocentric ideals, there's a lot of shame surrounding talking about death and losing someone and being in grief. In a lot of industries where you book in advance plans, like we we had planned this podcast, it needed to happen. With that, when these unexpected things happen, when you lose someone so important, you have to give that its space and somehow compartmentalize and deal with this grief, but not quit your projects because when you're an artist doing things if you don't do it it doesn't get done building on that is when you're acting in theater you're able to step into a role and some people are able to let go of who they are as they step into the character that they are Mm -hmm. but you talked about how this is so personal to you that it's hard to make this happen Mm -hmm. if that if the losses are happening in your personal life and you don't feel like this is a character you're stepping into. This is you being you on a podcast. So all of these things just still being you and not being able to step into a separate character. When I either step in and record the podcast or when I leave the podcast, yeah. I, can't, I can't not face that truth. Yeah, because it's still a truth as, matter, as much as it sucks. So I commend you for your resiliency and being able to push through and still keep going despite these adversities that you've seen and felt recently mm-hmm. because it's it's never fun to go through grief and go through loss so for you to be able to push forward and still do these things that you've done all of these this amazing work with this podcast and mm-hmm. in your own personal life it's really formidable and unbelievable i don't know if i could have done it because i think it's like, hard if we if we really talk about experiences and this podcast is for sharing stories and showing how we grow I don't know if in other podcasts people tend to separate their personal life from what they're doing but the intent of this podcast is to explore personal identity and life and my telling this is not to gain sympathy or to hmm, how, how should I phrase this it's not to it's not to use the grief as a way to gain fame or notoriety because I'm talking about it. It's not to like put it out in the newspapers and get more eyes on the podcast. It's just because it actually happened. And (laughs) And it's a reality I've faced. And if you Google me or if you go back into projects I've done, I've talked about my dealings with grief because both my my mom and dad, I think I mentioned in the first episode, they've passed away. I didn't really get into it in that episode. Your because... biological mom and dad? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I talked to, well, you know, I've talked to you yeah, about just, how my I dad would... and mom have passed away and how I have my third parent. I can't remember if we did that in the first episode, but I, I do talk about my dad passing away. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if the, the viewer had heard about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if you hadn't, if you haven't 
heard listened to the first episode go listen to it but um yeah, I mean no. chapter oh, I'm trying to change the verbiage <laughs> um but the reason it's just reality and we walk in tandem with reality we give space for it we acknowledge it because I'm not going to lie or be have any kind of energy or falsify my energy I think yeah. when you are someone who starts experiencing grief and loss in that way um, of people you care about, it never leaves you. And if you've lost an animal, I think it's the same. Like, I never judge and assume, oh, this person's grief and trauma is better or more than this person's. I think it never leaves you, but I think it's the same idea that you can laugh and cry in the same sentence. Yeah, absolutely. It's the So, <laughs> that's, this is a lot of, like, heavy stuff all to say, but that's where my head was at. I was crazed about this podcast and nervous. Mm. And then this unfortunate thing happened and I was dealing with that. And then my master's program started up again. So I went to classes for the first time this past week too. And it's just been, it's been a trip. It's been uncomfortable, exciting, um, confused, crazed. I love that word, crazed. It's a good word. That being said... We here at the podcast encourage you as you listen to us or as you join us on this journey to take care of yourself. That's why we have nibbles. You might get some ASMR of me munching down on some carrots that Savvy brought. (laughs) They're in a mason jar. Yeah. (laughs) You might get some mason jar ASMR. (laughs) (laughs) That does rhyme. That was not intentional. (laughs) I'm a a rapper on the side. Um, But we want to encourage you to take care of yourself breathe we want to acknowledge that though in the first episode we said that would be the only episode two hours long i've come to (laughs) realize something uh past deidra past deeds got really invested in this portion of the interview yeah and it is i'm just coming to come out it's uh an hour long yeah (laughs) so this one might be two hours long too but i'm okay with that because I don't want to rush these things. Well, also, if it feels more comfortable in the flow of the interview, if it's going smoothly, you don't want to break that up because yeah. then it just kind of adds a disjointed feel and two different vibes going at once, if that makes sense. And I don't want to rush us. Uh, yeah. There was a time in the first episode where we were like pinpoint, yeah, okay, like, we talked yeah. about this, we talked about this. Okay. Da, da, da. <laughs> these are I felt like we were points. more students rather than allowing us ourselves to just really sit in what we were yeah, and I think experiencing. Higher quality things oftentimes require time yeah because as someone once told to me you can get i believe like a toyota or a honda out in an afternoon on the manufacturing line or less and it takes six months to build a rolls royce so if you're looking in car terms that's (laughs) that's like a rolls royce is big fancy and it's known for high quality and luxury and Oftentimes, a Toyota is something that is just more easily accessible, and it still gets the job done. It's wonderful, but it's not the same caliber in society viewings. Or And if we're known for anything at the podcast, Downtime with Seats featuring Savvy, is we are fancy. <laughs> I <laughs> like to imagine it. <laughs> yeah, we are uh, fake it till you make it. Or as, I am also a pro dilly dallier, so I'm busy dilly dallying as I do. So, <laughs> please give us uh, pardon and grace when it comes to these things, as we're still both learning 
to go through these motions as this is still a very new platform for the both of us. Or don't give us any grace and tear us to shreds in the comments. We need the interaction with the audience. <laughs> you No, I don't want that. <laughs> don't bully me, please. I'm soft. Uh, I bully you all the time, though. You just don't know. But <laughs> still be nice, please. Oh, imagine someone just gets that sound bit. Yeah, Adidas actually bullies Savvy, and it's this big thing. <laughs> no. Revealed. No, it's all good. It's um, all good. Okay, so we're recording here in the office, still based in Mokinstis. On Treaty 7 territory. <laughs> We'd also like to um, give you a short brief and advisory of the content we will be speaking on. That content being one second as I flip pages. This is ASMR. You're we're gonna, you're gonna hear us chomping down, drinking, and There's then flipping pages. Some 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 page ASMR. Some paper. yeah, right here, right here. Right, uh, in the podcast, that was a sound effect I found <laughs> that wasn't actually me doing it. <laughs> All right, did you... Uh, oh, yeah, it? yeah. So we have our advisory, so please be advised. Oh, no, wait, I'm going to do it in a very theatrical, professional voice, okay? Okay, I can't wait. <sighs> please be advised that this podcast contains discussions on religion, politics, racism, environmentalism, colonization, genocide, and generational trauma. Yeah. That being said, I imagine those topics are going to be a continuous theme throughout the show. Additionally to those advisories, we want to forewarn the audience that we will also be getting into talks about institutionalized racism involving two very um, prominent institutions in our country. We have the RCMP, additionally the police by extension. And the educational institution, we get into topics like that with the, with in the interview, but I imagine me and Savvy will have some things to say. Yeah, and there's going to be more things that are probably going to come up that aren't necessarily going to feel comfortable. With knowledge comes healing. Yes. And a better understanding of your place. Yeah. So with all that being said is just take time if you need to, take breaths, take breaks, drink water, and if you don't feel like you can go on, then that's understandable. These subjects are heavy, and we do know that we find that it's really important, and we encourage people to listen, but if you feel that you can't do it right now at this moment, then that's you. You're on your own personal journey. If you need to take that break, if you can't do it right now, we understand. As we get into the next segment of Deeds Discovering, that's the name of the segment. As we yes. get into the next segment of Downtime with Deeds, my name everywhere. Yes. Uh, with Deeds Discovering, we also want to give the audience a reminder of care for anyone new joining us or for people who have listened to the first episode. We value, above all, um, respect and active listening yes. with kindness and an open mind. This is a real person. This is real life experience. This and is... we, if you don't like it, get out of the podcast. <laughs> get, get out. This is, this is a time for having grace and open-mindedness and a loving heart to be able to listen and just learn. With a lot of our topics and the tensions that surround these topics in our country and society, I think we just want to protect the people who are showing enough confidence to directly speak to these topics yes. with regards to who they are. 
that's it. I will say, (laughs) I did say you can, like, comment on me and Savvy and and bully us if you don't like the editing and all these things. (laughs) And Savvy disagreed. I was like, no, please. I still, like, I don't mind it, but what we will not tolerate is any rude or bullying type comments towards my uncle don that is not something we will abide by that's not allowed he does not deserve that no he he is our guest and we were lucky to have him to be able to have these interviews so just please understand that this is not his creation he's choosing to be a part of it so just understand. and also know that I only speak and represent myself. Savvy only represents themselves. And my Uncle Don only represents themselves with their thoughts, ideas. They do not represent and speak for the RCMP. Or all of Canada or any people Mm -hmm. of a community. We are merely sharing our own thoughts and views of what we're thinking and feeling in this moment. We should jump right into it now. Yeah. Deeds discovering. Woo-hoo. Get ready. Hello, hello! Welcome back to the would-be second episode of Downtime with Deeds, and this segment called Deeds Discovering, where I, Deeds, discovers more about my family, my heritage. Last time I learned about something called mink farming that I didn't know about, and I'm just learning a lot, and you're right here along with me on the journey. Our special guest, of course, is my uncle, paternal, my father's brother, Don Ladiser. Um, can you, again, just for the audiences, let them know uh, your indigenous name and where it was given to you? My indigenous name is in, is uh, in Cree, Montonski, Montonski, which, which means man who walked the earth. And it was given to me by Elder Jack Mackinac of Ermanskin First Nation. Went to a sweat lodge. I was invited to a sweat lodge because my son Nelson is his neighbor and lives just across the road. And Nelson rents Jack's land, Ermanskin land, to range his cattle on. And Jack invited me to a sweat, so I went to a sweat because he knows I'm a junior elder. And when we were in the, in the sweat lodge, he gave me my name. That's amazing. So, the, so that's how my name came to be. And it's interesting with, with elders because you never ask them to give you a name. And, and I've been sweating for many years. Many, many years I've been sweating with my elders in Frog Lake. And I've sweat I sweated with, with, with Jack's late brother, Raven Mackinac, mm-hmm. who's now passed away. And he used to be uh, one of the... Um, Aboriginal advisors, Indigenous advisors to the uh, commanding officer of RCMPK division, as well as the national advisor for the commissioner of the RCMP in Ottawa. I used to sweat with him all the time, too. That's as, as an elder. Yeah. And um, where we uh, let off. Also, if you hear any dings or rings, again, I'm new to technology, so just bear with me on that. Where we left off was... <laughs> We got a bit sidetracked into politics, religion, and all that fun stuff of decolonization. But really, what we really wanted to focus on was your childhood at the mission. So 
we're gonna head back and pretend like we didn't and that all that sides uh track we that was intentional we're gonna you know what we're gonna have the confidence to say it was intentional uncle and now we're just you're just gonna take us back to the mission how old are you what do you want to talk about and share about living there uh, 12 years old i'll go from the time i was 12 years old but before i do I just want to tell your audience that uh, we we made a little sidestep before we started there. I should have smudged before we started, so we did that before we started this session. We've mm-hmm. just had we've just had a good smudge of some buffalo sage that, from the Blood Indian Reserve down south in southern Alberta that I picked earlier this year. So now we're back to my age of twelve and with a fresh <laughs> mind after a good smudge, and so growing up. Of course, you know, we, like I was saying, we grew the garden. Mm-hmm. We, our fruit was we picked the berries. You know, we would go blueberry picking in August when the blueberries were ripe. In the spring, we picked strawberries. Mom would always can them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was our fruit for the for the winter. Or we or we would buy, you know, through the grocery store, mom would buy a can of peaches, and a, I mean a case of peaches, a case of prunes or whatever, mm-hmm. and can them. That was our fruit for the winter. And we had a cellar underneath the house where mom and dad still live, and that's where all the preserves would go. All the, all you know, if, if mom made any uh, any preserves with chicken or anything like that, and the but especially the berries or the beets from the garden, they went downstairs. I. One of one of the things before we, uh, before you and I talked, when you sent me the questions, was was oh uh, yeah, I sent uh, you some know, of you the sent, questions. You had sent following. me some of the questions, and uh, uh, we may get to them, know, we may not. <laughs> I always I always felt like that's kind of how my childhood was, but I wasn't. Even though I had all these siblings, sure we played together. With we had horses, you know, ponies and horses. We rode horses and stuff like that, and around the bush because my dad had forty-three acres of land. Mom and dad, and but I always was kind of by myself more than anything else. Uh, I I I trapped squirrels, weasels. That that's how I made my money growing up, or I. I worked in the garden for the priest. You know, he had a garden, or Mr. and Mrs. Bodine that had the store. I would go clean their garden and stuff. But basically, my income was picking bottles, or I'd trap squirrels, weasels, minks in the in the forest behind our place. Mm-hmm. And of course, my dad would sell those to the fur buyers at Hudson's Bay and Lacobish. That's how I kind of made my money. And then. But I didn't. I didn't hang out all the time with my brothers and sisters. They kind of did their own thing. Sometimes I was kind of by myself a lot, and and I enjoyed that. I'm to this day. I'm somebody who loves to be alone in the bush. That's where I find my my peace and tranquility. But you know, we got into hockey. My dad was a hockey coach. Eh? We played baseball uh, at the mission. There used to be the mission picnic that. Uh, there, uh, there was a community. We had a, a bunch of people, in it, like my auntie Frances, my dad, and a few other of my uncles and aunts. Had a had a little community thing called community activities, and that was the sports league that they would have a <clears throat> ball tournament every May long weekend. Mm-hmm. But we played baseball and hockey, and we went in the winter. We went all over the place to play in hockey tournaments. You know, up to High Prairie, Boyle, uh, the local area. Not as far as the way kids go now, but we had a pretty decent hockey team. And it wasn't and, like hockey, the hockey yeah. that where you were heavily safeguarded yeah. and protected with no. like all the padding that happens now in, in modern day hockey. No. It wasn't that, right? No, it and, was... and we had we had a lot a lot of the 
other kids that played in our teams were were reject kids, like kids that wanted to play in Lacrobish in the town of Lacrobish, mm-hmm. but because they were native kids, that um. they they weren't afforded the opportunity that Lacrobish wouldn't let them, wouldn't want them on their team, so they always came came to my dad and asked if they could play for us, and so they played for our team. So like we were called the Mission led. Flowers, yeah. So we had a lot mission of native flowers? mission flyers. Oh, flyers! flyers. I thought mission you said flyers. I thought you said flowers, flowers. and I'm like real delicate no, for hockey. No. <laughs> and then we had, and then we played. Of course, it was the same thing in the in the summertime. Like guys like Rodney Bushy, Wally Bushy, they were good ball players. They were good hockey players, you know. Same thing with hockey, like Alan Bushy, we called him Popcorn, right? Mm-hmm. That was his nickname, Popcorn. <laughs> Hell of a hockey player, right? But Lakabish didn't want really native kids on their team. They had a team that was mostly all white kids, eh? That's interesting. I I was yeah. under the impression that, I guess because Lakabish and the mission are so close, when I like grew up going there, I, I kind of viewed them as one and the same. So I was under the impression that it was like, an indigenous community led, but the it fact is. that there was segregation a there, little bit there back was. then, yeah, because you when you look at the that's the the peewee area the, when the peewees played like in my era it was tom toms and then it was peewee bantams midgets and then senior right, but so during the tom toms and the peewee and the bantam and the midget area and also most of like, our, the only white person on our team was brian young mm-hmm. and the the youngs and cory kruger and his dad his dad was actually an edmonton eskimo oscar kruger but they were the only white guy kids on our team now that i think about it mm-hmm. and the rest of us were all metis or first nation people eh Mm-hmm. Uh, because you were pushed out and not allowed in Laclabish because well we yeah they well, had well they had their people that you know again I'm not going to get into politics but even the kids in school you know going to school in Laclabish and I was going to ask you about that yeah. what was schooling like for you schooling there? was good it was good uh, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't really have any face any racism or anything there the school system was good uh, Laclabish school division. When I think about think about it now, it was good. We got a we got a decent education from what I remember, and I graduated at J. Williams High School in 1978. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the only one in my family. I am the only one in my family that finished grade 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the others in my family either dropped out of school or said I'm going to go work on the rigs. And I did hear some whisperings that like some, there was some, like um, some like uncles and aunties or like uh of your brothers and sisters did experience some racism uh they school. might have i i, I can't say i, I am mm-hmm. but um i i didn't mind going to school i went to school in plumana and also but you were saying something about uh the school you're referencing it to the hockey league um, yeah there's yeah. something like well well we played hockey during school hours of course for that's part of the curriculum back then was was you would play hockey but but the majority of the kids that went to school were town kids, right? They grew up in Lacrobish, and but when you look at the outside kids that went to school, because we were bused to school, we took to school, we lived eight miles away, you know. Six, My dad said he, you kilometers. guys used to walk. Uh, Is that to true? the bus just to catch the bus? I didn't walk to school because we lived out in the country. <laughs> So he lied to me. He, he used to country. say that you but, had to walk but to if you school. Look at the, and it was... Like the hockey thing or yeah. the baseball things, like the kids from Owl River, which is the other side of the lake, yeah. the, the, the Shambo boys, you know, some of the Boucher's, 
uh, all of, all of those kids, when you think about it now, like they played on our hockey team and our ball team mm-hmm. because they were Métis kids, mm-hmm. and they went to school in Lacrobis. But if they went wanted to join those hockey teams, there was never any room for them. They'd say, and they so they would always phone my dad. So they weren't given the same opportunities yeah. as other yeah. non-Indigenous kids at yeah. Lacrobis. Yeah, and I played some some. Uh, baseball, but not that much because I didn't like baseball. Still don't like baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a you fan. heard it here, folks. Don yeah. Lathiser does not thing, like baseball. The only thing I like about baseball is when it gets to the World Series. It's very entertaining to watch. I will watch it, but mm-hmm. as a kid growing up, I just wasn't a big baseball fan. That's okay. Yeah. I'm not a fan of either yeah. baseball. And I quit playing <laughs> hockey when I was, you know. When I got when I got to seventeen eighteen, I didn't want to play anymore. Okay. And, you know the last, and then I, I played a little bit of hockey when I got older. When I was a policeman in in the league in uh, Watasco, and we played in the uh, in the recreational league there, and we had a policeman's team. And and um, the last game I played was against the Hobima Oilers back then. It was a rough tumble, rough affair, and a whole bunch of us. Again, got, no, no yeah. modern day no. padding and protection. No. not even your teeth, right? No, like a some whole helmets. bunch of us. Yeah, a whole bunch of us got kicked out, like Wayne House, and uh, got kicked out. And so I said, "That's it. I quit playing hockey." So why did you get kicked out? Well, fighting, roughing, you know, oh. <laughs> dirt, dirty, dirty bush league hockey. So, oh, okay, yeah. okay. So, uh, and um, I, just for uh, our audience members, the term, um, the M word, M-I-D-G-E-T, that is um, not a word used to describe, that is just like not a good word used to describe no. some humans who are now considered, um, I believe the term is little people, yeah. but like that was just a term in hockey. In hockey. It's not um, something we're the using in the system. context. Yeah, we're that. not using it in the context to, um, you yeah. know. Slander, a whole yeah, community that, that's kind of people. how they that's kind of how they used to name the tier system mm-hmm. in, in in hockey, right? Just so like the audience members understand yeah. what yes. we're trying to talk about. But yeah. that also like if I can, I don't say the M word just because okay. it was used as um, a slur used yes. to make fun of a whole community, yeah. which yes. isn't great. Yeah. Um, but you know, getting back into it, talking about it, is there anything else from your childhood you want to uh, focus on or hear? Because I, re- I don't know if this is part of it, but I remember stories, sorry, I'm still reliving the fact that my dad lied about walking to school <laughs> um, to get us to do things as a kid. But uh, it was probably still pretty rough, you know, walking to the school bus, I imagine. But um I'm wondering, I heard stories from my dad about how the mission was haunted. And there was, like, something, in spiritually, there was, like, instances where my dad came into contact with what he considered supernatural beings. And I was wondering if you can, like, speak to that, or if, if you th- can think of any of your own experiences, or not, if it was completely... I, I unfortunately, I can't speak to that, because I never had those experiences hmm. myself, personally. Uh, there are I agree with what he told you mm-hmm. uh, one um, evidentiary factor of proof of it is when my mom and dad uh, had their 50th wedding anniversary they renewed their vows in the mission church mm-hmm. and this is well, only back in 2003 I think it was and give or take a year or two yeah we were uh, all there when, I think my yes. dad was there too yes yeah, and everything. you might have been there yourself I was there we and, have a picture from it and when when uh, 
the young children who were dressed all cute and were all dressed all cute in their outfits and the photographer was taking pictures when the pictures got developed there's a little boy up in the window looking down at the children you can see him in the rectory and the rectory that's right across from the church like 10 meters away from the church He's up in the window. I think there's like, um, uh, it's documented somewhere, most haunted places in Canada and in Alberta, the mission is one of them. Mm. Yes, the rectory. Yeah, and so is the mission um, jailhouse, which I remember as a young kid, you told me you had some weird experiences when you were a young police officer working at the mission's um, police station or jailhouse. No, that was in Fort Chippewa. Oh, when I, was, when I was stationed in Fort Chippewa, and I had... Never mind. You know, See, I'm learning yes. things. I'm discovering things, as yeah, always. I, the only other... I've never ex- experienced the paranormal in, uh, in, in the mission there. I haven't. Mm. Uh, I know my Auntie Mary uh, used to live right across in the cemetery there at the mission, the, the old cemetery that's still there. Um, and some uh, summer students who were there for the summer doing the work programs thing in the rectory came running to her house at three in the morning uh, saying there was a ghost in there and they seen a priest rocking in a rocking chair and they were terrified and ran out of the rectory to her house for help and they wouldn't go back there they and they left the next day um but i don't have any specific personal well then to that future Deidre in the podcast let them know the stories your dad told you that were true and not about walking all the way to school yes (laughs) yes still stuck in that but yeah let's get back to your experience as a kid basically as as, like I left I left home and and, when did uh, you leave home how old were you Right after I finished high school in 78, I went and worked on the rakes for Tri-City Drilling. So that was 18? Yeah. yeah. When I was when I was 18, I'm going to start to move away from my childhood. Okay. I don't really have much more to to really share, except, you know, that what I did, the trapping thing and played hockey, baseball. Mom, Mom and Dad were always, were always loving and caring, though. Mm-hmm. You know, I can never, I can never remember ever going without you know, or so you always you know, felt fed and yeah, yeah. Safe. There was always food on the table, mm-hmm. not much at times, but there was food on the table. You know, and my mom never drank alcohol. Mm-hmm. My dad, my dad drank when we were young. Mm-hmm. You know, a little excessive when I was at the age of eight, nine years old. But my mother has never drank. Mm-hmm. I, I, being sixty-one years old myself. I can remember two instances, my mom having a little bit of wine, and uh, that was maybe about four years ago at one at one celebration, and one other time, but that's it. My mother, my because my mother always said that there was a lot of alcohol abuse in her home growing up as a child, and she, she despised it. I think it's like that generational yeah. trauma. Yeah, she despised like it and still despises it to this day. Her motto is... Why would I buy myself a headache? Mm. Go to the liquor store and buy myself a headache the next day. Why would I spend my money to do that? Yeah. Well, kind of a pretty good concept, actually. And no, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Like, you're just buying yourself yeah. trouble. But um, So you were 18, and you graduated, and you went to work on probably not your first job, because you said you were working since you were 12. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, cleaning the garden, stuff like that. When I was 18 and... Uh, I graduated from from high school. I didn't go to my graduation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to because I had to work myself, and I I didn't have the money or I couldn't afford to buy 
to buy back then when I think about to buy the graduation, the gold graduation ring and uh, all the other caboodles that came with it. I, I just graduated and I went to work. I never went to my grad ceremony or anything. I was working down in Youngstown, Alberta on uh, Tri-City uh, Drilling Rig as a roughneck on the day of my graduation. So I set off to work and uh, worked on the rigs. And then in the summer, I started driving for my Uncle Lair's uh, water truck. I drove water truck for him numerous years. And the water truck is later on in the mission in Lackle Bay, small places like that with not a lot of like heavy industry plumbing. They would bring water in, right? For the, is a septic tank? Yeah, Was that installed? A, sister, a cistern tank, but my Uncle Lair's truck did a lot of work on uh, on the drilling rigs okay for hauling water to the to the rigs whether it was Bow Island or Tri City they were tied to them so I I, um, I hauled water for numerous winters for him mm-hmm. but then I started to think you know what am I gonna do this all my life and then you know I, I decided after a couple years I was on the rigs that I would uh, that I would maybe learn how to run heavy equipment so I attended uh, Keanu College in Fort McMurray, and I got uh, my certificate to run heavy equipment, to run mm-hmm. bulldozers or graders or scrapers. So I did that during the summer months, and then I would drive a water truck for my uncle there in the winter time. And then I um, started dating a lady from Plamondon, and uh, she got pregnant before we were married. So. We ended up getting married, which was the wrong thing to do. Because How old were you? I was only 20 years old. Oh. Yeah. But I bet that's what people yeah. taught you in school, that marriage needs to happen yeah. if you're yeah, in a Yeah, because of that. And uh, I prefer not to just get into that, of into course. talking about, about that. It wasn't a good marriage to be in for 10 years. Uh, but even running the, when I was working in the summer, running the scraper and then driving with my uncle, I, I felt like, geez, you know, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I want a career. And, and you know, even when I was growing up being being a child, I always wanted wanted to be a policeman. You know, when, when we played Cowboys and Indians when we were kids, I was always a cowboy. Eh? Everybody plays Cowboys and Indians when you're kids growing up. A uh, horribly racist game, yes. <laughs> unfortunately. Yes. Thank you, think, you, colonization. When you think, about, when you think yeah. about it now, yeah. Yeah. So I always wanted to be... I always wanted to be an RCMP officer, so I started thinking, well, you know what, I should join the RCMP. But what made you want to be an RCMP officer, do you Because think? number one, I I wanted to be able to help people. Mm-hmm. Number two, once I got to the end of the career path, I knew I'd have a good pension, mm-hmm. and it was a uh, steady-paying job. And I wanted to, to be one of Canada's iconic symbols of our country Mm -hmm. but and more importantly I didn't have the money to go to university Mm. I didn't have and I knew if I went for six months training with the RCMP that I would have a career path for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. so at the age of uh, 22 years old uh, and you had your first child first child was born Christy was born in uh, in December Mm -hmm. our first child was born I went to join the RCMP and listen to them and I was told I wasn't good enough. I, Why weren't you good enough, Uncle Val? Be, because I didn't have a university degree. Okay. I wasn't bilingual. Okay. And they were that's all they were hiring at that time. They wanted you to be bilingual, 
and have a university degree. Height didn't really matter already by at that time. Which is, so, again, another system that's hard for people yes, to break the mold and break yeah. into from underprivileged communities, I yes, think. Yes, yes, absolutely. Of all of that. Absolutely. So... You, your I language thought, was taken away from you, quite, so that's why you're not bilingual. Yeah. So, so I figured, okay, well, all right, I'll, I'll use the backdoor route. Okay, what's so that? So I, I took the backdoor route. I said, well, I'll apply as an... Indian Special Constable is what it was called, program. Oh. The RCMP had the Indian Special Constable program. And what so was that I, program for? <laughs> that, was, that program was for um, First Nations or Métis men and women who wanted to join the RCMP to go into training. The, the training was a little, a little not, it wasn't six months. It was, it was three and a half months. And then they would send you back to your home community to police within your home community or if not in your home community on First Nations communities. Was it an Indigenous-led program? No, it wasn't. Mm. It wasn't Indigenous-led. Um, so I applied through to join through that program mm -hmm. and because I was recognized as Métis, I always had my Métis membership with the Métis Nation of Alberta, I was accepted. And I went off to depot in January 1985, January 22nd, 1985. 1985, that's yeah. when that program was. Yeah, I, I started when I, I got sworn in on December the 3rd of 1984 in St. Paul as, as an Indian Special Constable. I worked at, at the detachment for, for a month. And my very first day of work, mm -hmm. you have no idea what to do, but it blew my mind. I figured if this is what policing is all about, yahoo, let's have at her. First day at work, I get into work, and uh, I won't mention any names, but uh, a guy had shot up the police station, drove by and shot bullets through the RCMPD detachment in Lacklebish. No, <clears throat> it was in the early morning hours when... Oh, this when happened no, in Lacklebish. They sent you back to Lacklebish. Well, I got sworn in December 3rd, and I was told to report to duty on the on the Monday morning mm -hmm. when I went in on Monday morning in plain clothes no uniform or anything because they wanted to give you experience before you left for depot RCMP Regina training mm -hmm. in January so when I went in when I went in my first day of work somebody had driven by the police station and, and shot a whole bunch of bullet holes through the front window mm -hmm. and uh, had taken a nurse hostage from the hospital and was and was on the run with her car, so I show up at work, and of course, everything's chaos, right? Mm -hmm. So I got stuck up in a helicopter for nine hours because they put, you in a helicopter. they put me in a helicopter because I knew all the roads, right? Grew up there, oh. knew all the roads, where to go, and the RCMP helicopter. So I was up there for nine hours chasing this guy that had being an observer or telling the pilot where which road went where and. To make a long story short, we did end up getting him later in the in that evening. But mm -hmm. I was nine hours in a helicopter my first day at work chasing a criminal that took a nurse hostage. And he ended up kicking the hostage out unharmed mm -hmm. at a farm and uh, arrested him with an emergency response team takedown in an apartment building. He made his way back to town and got him there. But that was an exciting first day. So I would say yes. <laughs> so, so then I went... So I, I spent the month there, and then I went off to RCMP training in Regina. But being sworn in as an Indian Special Constable, talk about segregation. Mm -hmm. Because when when I went into training, I was in a in an all Indian troop. Mm 
called us an all-Indian troop. That's and very generic. We were, <laughs> yeah. And we... Uh, I laugh you know, out of discomfort sometimes because it's just well, sad for the times when that you think, they well, wouldn't specify. Well, and, when you think about it now, there's a class action lawsuit for discrimination against the RCMP for these very things that I'm talking about. Eh? The systematic have, racism within the yeah, system. Yeah, yeah, within the system. I, and I'm not going to get into that now. <laughs> but... Like, we weren't given a red surge. We were given a brown surge to wear instead of... And that surge is... It said Indian Special Constable on the shoulder, and it was brown, and you wore the blue pants with the yellow stripe. So rather than the red that other the, officers an, were wearing? Yeah, Indian officers only, or other special constables that worked at the airport. Mm. So Because we were Indian Special Constables. So in order Why to... Why would they separate you like that? We We were... We were an all-Indian troop. We were all Aboriginal guys and girls. We had four four ladies from Saskatchewan in our that were from Saskatchewan, First Nations ladies that were in our troop. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and then the majority of us, upon graduation, were sent back to our home communities. So one of the questions you had posed to me was, when did you first face adversity? Mm-hmm. Going back home. After being a policeman, it was the toughest posting I ever had. As a, as an in, as a special constable, having to deal with people I went to school with, arrest, graduated with, get you know, charging people for impaired that I knew that were, as a kid growing up, that were older, drinking and driving, arresting my first cousins and putting him in jail, and having to go to court. That was the toughest thing I ever did, and I was. You know, you you got people that are resisting whenever you whenever you're trying to enforce the law. I spent four and a half years in Lacrobiche, and then I converted to be a a constable to get my red surge. So I had to go back to depot a second time, back to Regina a and second time. And and other RCMP officers who aren't Indigenous didn't have to experience. Well, a lot, a lot of them went back to their home communities too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people, did they have to go back to the depot a second time? Anybody, any any Indian mm-hmm. special constable that wanted to convert or a special constable period had to go back to Regina for another six months of training. But um, if we can, just like speaking on your experience, how you faced adversity, the way I'm framing it in my mind is you enter a field that historically was created to round up indigenous people and force them onto reserves and and be that authority so you wanted to enter the police force to begin like just being a positive um influence on the community and helping people and then you're sent to your home where you have to face confronting individuals in your own family that are dealing with their own addictions and like demons and then you have to deal with the fact that I don't know not everyone likes police officers and then it's it's it must be so sad to like want to like do something good for your community and then sometimes be seen as an enemy of that community yeah like how do you balance that well we have to if we think back to 1984 and 1985 mm there there was no information or any relevance or anything ever mentioned knowledge about taking children 
away from their parents that the RCMP did that. I had no knowledge of that. So you didn't even know that I had, I the did, history we, of RCMP. We, we, we yeah. didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that history existed. I can't say that for everybody in my troop, but mm -hmm. I would. I would say with very for strong, your schooling, very strong didn't... suspicion mm -hmm. that the what's happened in the residential school system as we know now the cultural genocide and that the RCMP went to take these kids away from their parents to take them to the residential schools there there was none of that known in the public in the public purview way back in 1984 or even when I joined it wasn't there that that has only developed now over the last 10 or 15 years that revelation yeah yeah that's, and like then so you we, you spoke to how as a kid you viewed RCMP officers yeah. as like heroes of the and pillars of the community and like this yes. like kind of like the great moose or beaver in like Canada culture Canadian culture RCMPs were painted as these awe-inspiring people for which many cases are but they completely neglected the true history of Canada so you yourself entering it probably thought oh i'm gonna be that person yeah. i'm gonna be that hero that light and then come to find out now down the road and and, and even though if in you year didn't two, know in year, yeah. two, in year 2000 is when i it first came to light to me about the res, residential school system as an rcmp officer mm -hmm. so 2000 I, yep year, yeah year 2000 when i started putting the aboriginal perceptions program together when i was a sergeant for the rcmp in, in edmonton so it's like you're being faced with all this stigmatization. You're you, first of all, they're really like clumping in uh, so many different types of indigenous peoples and communities in one thing under the banner Indian and making you be the insight uh, and and speak for your people while at the same time throwing you in communities where they didn't teach you the true history of the RCMP itself and why maybe um, people who are going through their worst addictions or trauma in their life will react violently to the RCMP and when you're an indigenous officer in that system where it's systematically racist, but you don't, you didn't know that, and your community didn't know that. What they relied on was the negative blood and bad history between police officers and yeah. the people around Laclabish and the mission. Yeah. So I can only like imagine how it's like you have to be faced with all this negativity without the history to understand what's happening and why it's happening. Yeah, yeah, and. When when you think when I think about it now, all, all of the physical abuse, uh, spousal abuse, the addictions, n none of that was, you know, those underlying issues weren't hadn't been brought to the surface yet. But now, when you look back, th that exactly was the cause of it, right? It, it is the cause. Colonization. Yep, yeah, exactly. Uh, so so to get back to the to the special constable thing. So at four years, I wanted out of that community because it wasn't doing me any good staying there any longer. So I thought that I would convert to to get promoted to a constable. But in order and get your red coat. And get my red coat. In order to do that, I had to go back to Regina, Saskatchewan, a second time. So I did that. I applied, and of course, I was approved because of my hard work ethic. Uh, 
Well, of course, like just because you weren't thing. you weren't given all the opportunities as other yeah. officers doesn't mean you're any less dedicated. Yeah, and Tony. being a special constable, our, our role was to work on the First Nations communities or the Métis settlements in Lac La Biche, like there was Hart Lake, Beaver Lake, which is my home reserve now mm-hmm. that I found out that I'm actually an Indian, not Métis, and we'll get into that in a bit here. But my role was to work in those schools, to be in those schools as well as the community with the chiefs. However, even though being a special constable, the detachment commanders from Lacrobish, and Ralph Cardinal was the other special constable with me, and Ralph, his home reserve is Big Stone Cree Nation. He was from Wabascare area. We were told to be in these schools, but we also had to police the towns off the reserve. So, so they okay. used the re- they, they, they took the resources who are allotted for the First Nations community, namely Ralph Cardinal and I, and used us to police the towns of Lacrobish, uh, Plamondon, uh, do uh, whether it was radar, uh, abusive resources. So we were basically doing more work than the than the regular constables because we had to be in the school. The work. non-indigenous constables. Yeah, the non-indigenous constables. We were doing more work because we were we were in the First Nations communities, in the schools. What schools? Uh, Beaver Lake and Heart Lake schools, as well as Keekano Mady Settlement. By schools, do you mean like residential schools? K to nine, K to nine. So the kids' schools, you yeah, actually patrol schools. Yeah. Oh, curriculum. okay. Uh, Northern you? Lights School Division. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay, go on. Go yeah, on. The, well, so even even today, First Nations communities have their own schools on the reserve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know that police weren't had to do the work of policing those schools. I thought it. It was liaison officer. You were doing school talks. Okay. You know, doing crime prevention stuff within the schools. Okay. Not, no, not um, a different era than what it is now, mm-hmm. than the involvement that there is with peace officers in schools in, in today's era. So we were doing that, and of course, treaty days, that was our responsibility. Any crime on the reserve that happened, we got all those files. Any crime in town that happened, if we were working, we had to investigate those. So in a nutshell, we were doing more. Than those other constables. So were. most constables were just like in charge of their districts well, or their towns, go. and they weren't like going to school all the time and having to manage that. But you were in charge of not only the reserves and the indigenous communities, but also going into school, but also dealing with anything you happen upon yep. outside of it. Yes. And you were given no help. That's right. No support by non-indigenous officers. Uh, we were given backup, but okay. but but we were we had a bigger workload than what they have, and we were paid a hell of a lot less. You were paid less than other Absol- officers. Oh, oh, absolutely. Our our wage was was maybe. Geez, that's a long ways to think back, but I've got the documents <laughs> to prove it. If I looked into it, we were paid maybe. 60-70% salary compared to them. We were underpaid. And you you and were, were risking your more. life the same and doing way more work and same also thing. being I guess a cultural care not carrier but like you were doing the work of being the cultural asset for the police force. Yes. And mind you, you're Métis, so you were going into these communities and learning about the in, the specific indigenous identities and cultures of that community and relating it yes. back to the other officers, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you were doing a lot. There's a lot that goes into that because it's not like every indigenous person is an all-knowing information vehicle. Yeah. You have to do the work to, do, yes. to be an ally. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. So, I didn't know you were paid less. Yeah. Oh yeah. That so, is so messed up. Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> sorry. So, yeah. Audience members. So so anyway, I converted. I joined. Uh, I went back to Depot in January again of 1985, mm-hmm. and when I was in training, uh, Nelson was born. My son Nelson was born to my wife I had married, mm-hmm. and. I completed my training in May, and then I was posted to, because I was Indigenous, I was posted out of depot to one of the last desirable places in Alberta, Hobima, from 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 uh, training. I was so I, I moved, ended up moving to Wetaska, and I was posted to Hobima. How old were you? I would have been at that time twenty-eight. I'm 28 right now, yeah. and you were already doing that work and being. That was, would have been my in my fifth year, so I was and and the RCMP had uh, bonafide occupational requirement positions. They were like they were for, they it was a position for uh, to be occupied by an indigenous person to, to that RCMP detachment, so they put me in one of those out of Regina. Are you the only one, or are there others in, there was in one, your There department? was one more uh, Indian Special Constable, my good friend to this day, Wesley Steinhauer from Saddle Lake. He was in the other position, and I, I was in, I came from Depot and into the other one. And uh, I spent, uh, I got I got there in 89, and I spent three years Three years in uh, Hobina. But you were 28 my age. Yeah. So from 2023, 20, I imagine that's when you first got uh, decided to switch your career and like go really go for it. Was, from yeah. 23 to 28, that's only... That was 24, How yeah. many years is that? I'm bad at math. 24, 24. I was 24 when I joined. Uh-huh. And when so I, in four years, you had an undertaking that was three times as much as your fellow officer while, whilst having to work double hard to be even just given a red coat and seen as an equal. Yeah, yeah. So what, so then I I went to when I went to when I came to Muskegee's, uh I was a constable like everybody else. I had my red surge, but I was in an Indian position, as you want to call it, an indigenous position, which was a 16-1 position which which was again a position specifically labeled to work the reserves out of that detachment and namely that would be four band Ermanskin, Montana Louisville uh, and Pigeon Lake band again just across the lake from me now so at, I, at that age were you beginning to see the flaws within the police system and uh, not really because I was I was so busy solving crime it was mm-hmm. such a it was such a busy detachment mm-hmm. uh, I I knew about it because we would when you went to workshops, training workshops, and you talked to other police officers, you know that you know a lot of them were complaining that they were pigeonholed staying under reserve. You know, well, well when I left Muskegee's, I'm going to refer to Muskegee's because that's what it is now. It was called Hobima. Mm-hmm. It was an extremely busy, violent community to work in. Extremely. I don't think um, it's to the fault of the folks living but it's not, there. But it's to not the, to the fault. She. It's a result. And, and, and he, when you think about it, even back then, mm. that would have been 80, 89. I was there from 89 to 
late 1992, mid 1992 for only three years. But when you look at the alcohol and the drug abuse and the neglect of the children, that's all because of the residential school system. That now, they weren't now, teaching now that anyone. I, yeah. Now that I sit here at 61 years old, that's what was going on. And there was a lot of oil money back then. You know, the, the uh, Bonnie Glen gas plant, which is now abandoned near my home where, as we sit here, all those oil reserves, a lot of the kids turning 18 were getting like $120,000 in one shot. Without? You know, without, because of the oil rights and uh, the money given to the band from the oil companies drilling on their land because Indians have mineral rights. Yeah, I think I heard yeah. that some uh, reserves, when so, you turn 18, you're given this certain amount yeah. of money, but the but not really shown what you can be and who yeah. you can be and how you could be, do positive things for your own life. So I was I was subjected to a lot to... Uh, so I worked with Tasquin Rurals where I went to, but mm-hmm. all my time was spent in Muscatchies or or on the nations and and patrolling the county at times also right but i was in a in a indigenous position yeah it's got that's uh for there's, any, there's no uh for anyone who's wondering i just opened a bottle of water that's what that noise was and i drank it and it tastes like raspberries so i kind of looked at it weird. It's, zero, it's zero calories it's just a flavor in the yeah, water yeah my, my uncle gave no me soda. <laughs> that's what this is real life human conversation where we have to drink water to survive. But like also, thank you. It was, it was, it was, um, but, but again, it's Muscatchies. You know, I, I, I love the people there. That's why I went back a second time. I I spent three years in Muscatchies as a constable. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the going in, uh, my first experience, uh, I stopped to serve a, a summons at a house, and uh, I can't remember mm-hmm. which house it is now. But I stopped to serve the summons. But there was a there was a sweat lodge ceremony going on there. And have you ever been to a sweat lodge? I've never been to a sweat lodge. I and knew, how old? Twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, I knew nothing about a sweat lodge. I didn't know what it was. Yeah, they didn't teach us yeah. indigenous. Well, I I know but, my childhood. They didn't teach indig- no. my indigenous culture at school, so I could imagine that. In Lackawish, they nothing. weren't teaching yeah. you anything about I knew nothing about it. And mm-hmm. one of the sweat lodge keepers, when I think back about it now, asked me if I would like to go in a sweat lodge to experience it. I said, okay, well, why not? But I made the fatal mistake, and I still chuckle about it to this day, that I took my gun belt off, mm-hmm. threw my files in the trunk, mm-hmm. locked my police car, and I went in a sweat lodge with my uniform on. Oh my God! The, I, I the, the name of it didn't like cue you. Oh my God! I I, roast, I roasted. No, they probably all laugh about it to this day. But that's hilarious when I think about it, right? What did you think the name st- stood for? Yeah. Oh man, they roasted me out of there. I made. I think I made two songs. Two songs, and I I couldn't. So I exited. You lasted two songs. I left that two songs. Was and, everyone just but, staring at you? Like, what are you? No, what are you supposed to wear in the sweat lodge? Just because well, I've never been in one, but I, oh, I can understand it's well, hot. If, but the knowledge <laughs> I have now, yeah, <laughs> I would have went in with my gunch. 
You know? <laughs> you're, you know gone, I mean? you're underwear? I would have went in with just my underwear. That's what I should have went in, uh, really, because I didn't have any cotton So you're shorts. recommending um, for any future RCMP officer, don't wear your full well, uniform. Or any uniform person, don't oh, wear that man. in a sweat lodge if you're no. invited for well, the first I, time. Well, I knew nothing about sweat lodges. Like, it, it, there was even another time in Muscatchese that, that I went to... Uh, there was a powwow going on in a hockey arena in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm on patrol. I'm doing patrol, and I stop in there. And, and I, uh, there was a whole bunch of artifacts out. And then there was a, a beautiful eagle feather that was wrapped in beads and, and of course, had the, uh, the traditional colors on it. And I picked it up. And what was, traditional colors? Which well, it had the red, blue, yellow, mm-hmm. green. And that's and yellow, for... Um, the sun, the water, mm-hmm. the home okay. fires. Yeah. So... I picked it up and I was looking at it. It was beautiful. And a lady came up and said, you're not supposed to touch that. That's not for white people. You know? mm. And I said, I'm not white people. I'm one of you. I said, I'm, I'm Métis, mm-hmm. part Indian. I said, oh, then, then that's okay. You can you can cherish it. It was beautiful. But again, it was again being perceived that as a white person. Even a white the, yeah. police. Were you in uniform? Yeah, yeah. I was. I was working. But anyway, like no apologies warranted or anything. Like oh yeah, that, no. Like honestly, but like I, yeah. I still, I still like. And then I got to know uh, Arnup Lewis, late Arnup Lewis, who was uh, one of the counselors on uh, Samson Band. Mm-hmm. And we'd all got to know him, invited me to his house, and a few others of us. So we we started going there every. Every Saturday morning or Sunday morning, and we'd go and have tea and bannock with him, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, and then I met Roy Lewis, his brother Roy, who was on Samson Council, and same with Arnip. To this day, to this day, Roy is still one of my good friends, and he's an and he's an elder, and he's taught me so much. Our bowl that we and they're smoke. okay with you telling their names and everything and sharing it for the podcast. Roy, Roy would be absolutely okay. That's good. Yeah, that smudging bowl. Mm-hmm. That's from Roy. Um, my uncle is pointing to a smudging bowl for people who don't know. That's right. and he, it's a gift from Roy. It's it the is. one we use to smudge. Yeah. So, uh, late Arnup and uh, and Roy. Roy's still a good friend of mine to say, and, and an elder that uh, when I went back to Muscatchie the second time as an inspector mm-hmm. in charge of the detachment, mm-hmm. uh, Roy was one of my leaders in my in my group from the community, my community consultative group. And this was still while you were at Hobima? Yeah. Or, uh, or sorry, uh, what's the the term? Muscochis. Muscochis. Yeah, so I spent my, I spent, uh, as a constable in 89, I spent three years there. I'm going to speed it up on my postings because I've been all over the place. Uh, We got about nine minutes in this episode left. And we can come, I'm going to go quickly on nine minutes where I've been. And then I'm going to, I'd like to share with your audience of how I've embraced my culture so much. Yeah. Because, and because of the communities I went to. So I left, I left uh, in, I, I got divorced in 1991 mm-hmm. uh, for contributing factors that I'd rather not do in a podcast. And the hardest thing for me. Uh, and one of your questions was, have I ever been faced with something very difficult? Was losing my two children to my ex-wife. Uh, and I fought tooth and nail to have them in my custody. Mm-hmm. But uh, because of some manipulation with her lawyer through the 
political thing in the back in the courtroom with the judges, etc. I never got my children, but I remained close to them throughout my service. And resultant of that, my children are closer to me now than their mother is, but I'm not going to get into that. So I left 1991. Uh, 1992, I, again, I, was tra- I got transferred. You're 30? I was 30. Okay. 30 years old. Uh, I got transferred from, I asked to be transferred. I wanted to go to get away for a new beginning because of the, the divorce and mm-hmm. I'm single now. And I just needed a new beginning and a new environment. I went to Fort Chippewa. Uh, isolated post uh, in the north on mm-hmm. Lake Athabasca. Mm-hmm. So I spent three years there. Uh, got to meet some really nice people up there. And we'll uh, and we can talk about them more in the next yeah, like episodes. Yeah. So and I, I, I got to meet some really nice people and work some on some indigenous initiatives up there. But again, mm-hmm. I was in a First Nations position because they had one in that detachment, right? And my good friend, I was in training with me, Eddie Shortman. Who again? He too, when he got transferred as an Indian Special Constable, went back to his home community of Fort Chippewa. He was getting transferred out of there. Late mm-hmm. Eddie, and I can use his name. He's passed away. He got transferred out, and uh, I took his spot in Fort Chip. So I spent three years in Fort Chippewa, and then I wanted a break from Indigenous policing. I needed. I was at burnout at that time, working uh, Lacobish, Muscatchies. Fort Chip was extremely busy too. Mm-hmm very violent and very busy. And again, you're given like not even half the resources of other communities, non-indigenous yeah. communities yes. and having to deal with twice, three times as more work. Yeah. Were they paying you the same at this yeah, point? Yeah, when I converted, I got I, I my salary after 3 years was the same as every every other consul. Okay. I, I hit the same pay grade. I don't want to call that progress cuz it should have been equal from the get-go. Yeah. But Yeah, it should have been, but yeah. it wasn't. So I spent uh, I spent till 1990, 1994 mm-hmm. in uh, 1992. I'm getting lost already myself. So. <laughs> I try to keep I, track I left, too. <laughs> I left Fort Chippewa. If I if I had all my plaques on the wall here, you would be able to. I'd be able to yeah. tell you. <laughs> so I left Fort Chippewa and, and I wanted a break. I asked the RCMP to transfer me to a non-Indigenous community. I went to Viking. And it's not because yeah. you didn't care about Indigenous peoples or community, but when you think about it, being the only you in the room, but in a in a system that, again, is leaving out a lot of the hard truths that needs to be acknowledged and learned from so there could be healing, and then being faced with that amount of work and scrutiny and as much as there was probably a lot of beautiful moments with you and the communities you were serving, it could be lonely and exhausting. I I 100% understand your need for... um... And, and, And here's the thing. Police work in any community is hard. But the fact that because of the lack of resources and... And again, like I said, the whole like RCMP doing the work to be good allies, the fact that you lack that severely, the fact that a non-Indigenous community, you saw that as a reprieve, goes to show how terrible the country treated Indigenous communities in terms yes. of resourcing and yep. understanding. Yep. So I just wanted to put that in there because Still happening you today. you asking for a break from an Indigenous community is not because of Indigenous people. No. It's because of... Well, it's, it's a busy spot, less desirable. A lot of RCMP officers wouldn't go to them. But it's still like that today. It hasn't mm-hmm. changed. Mm-hmm. So I went 
I went to the town of Viking, home of the Setters, where they play hockey. You know the hockey players, the Setters? I know nothing about hockey. Okay, Daryl Sutter is the coach of the Calgary Flames right now. Okay. National Hockey League. Okay. S- six boys from Viking played in the National Hockey League. So okay. I, went, I went to Viking, uh, Scandinavian community. Mm-hmm. Loved it. It was awesome. It was, and that's cool. Was a, was a great was a great break and uh, uh, did, did some things there. I spent... Uh, I spent two years there, mm-hmm. and then I got uh, transferred to Two Hills. Thirty-two. Transferred to uh, Two Hills. No, I was. Uh, I, I went to Two Hills in nineteen ninety-eight. Okay. So I was. Uh, I was finally born. Hey, in ninety-three, I was born. Yeah. Okay. So, so I got transferred to Two Hills. Another mm-hmm. uh, non-indigenous community, mm-hmm. and. I, I, and that's when I met Noreen when I was stationed in Two Hills. Who is my, my auntie? Wife. Yeah. Well, okay. She's yeah, your wife. <laughs> I the, love how you. Yeah. I love how you said that. Like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, we met. Uh, we met through uh, a mutual friend, mm-hmm. and uh, we got married in 1999. Uh, when I was stationed in Two Hills, Noreen came to live with me because I lived right, a, I lived attached onto the RCMP detachment in Two Hills, mm-hmm. because with the maintenance I was paying for the, for my children and it, uh, money was tight. I wasn't making much money, you know, as a police officer. So even when you were making equal money, it wasn't yeah a lot for the amount of yeah. work and yeah. So then, uh, how much time have you got? A minute. <laughs> well, we can continue on. I'll just keep going, and then we'll just continue. Is that thirty minutes? That's an hour. We, we just yeah, we just did an hour. And for my audience members, um, I forgot to do this for our last episode. Um, by the way, we're doing this in one sitting. Even though you're hearing it in separate like months time from each other, this is one sitting. So I'm just gonna quick snaps for my uncle and the amount of. Uh, of love and Carrie's putting into sharing his life story. But I was going to do this in the first episode. I forgot. In, a, in the effort of um, equality and give and take, I feel like I'm here, and no pun intended, pretty much in a, in a session where I'm the police officer and I'm quizzing you, my assailant, about your life story and everywhere and which way you've ever been. In the effort of equality, I'm going to allow you to ask me a personal question you want to know about me. Maybe down the road. No, we could do it. Let's, let's try it. You can ask me anything you want to know. I don't have anything right now. Let, me, let one come up. Let one come up? Well, let me, let, I have to think of one. Okay. So I can't... Okay. So throughout uh, the rest of our session, as we learn your life story in this podcast, if ever you want to ask me a question... Or you're curious. I give you the freedom to interject, and okay. you become okay. the questionnaire. Okay. Okay. Um, other than that, please tune in on our next episodes. We got a, a lot more to get into, but we finally made it past the childhood. You are now thirty-eight. Eight. You are now thirty-eight. Yep. Twenty more years. To With two kids now. and a, a wife. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, see you next time. Thanks for joining us at For Deeds Discovery. Yes. <laughs> so 
that was not a half an hour long <laughs> as we, we prepared we, people for in the intro, but also Uncle Don team. just saying, yeah, it was only half an hour, right? We did good. <laughs> well, it's, it's fun when you're with family and you're getting to know them. And if you're both feeling it and you're having a good vibe and you're just hanging out and it's like... <laughs> You're just chatting. He sounded so like sure. He's like, it was a half an hour long. Like <laughs> we did so it. <laughs> like, oh, he's just he's a gem, and so it was wonderful to hear him being so excited. Like we did it. Yes, we did, but we went over it. <sighs> there is also oh my gosh, okay, there's it kept coming up, but I think I was really I'm gonna use this word again. I was okay. so shooketh. That my dad did not walk to school every day. <laughs> he lied. He walked to the bus. Maybe it's one of those things where parents are like, "I walked up, I walked to school, and it was you in kids the snow. have it lucky. Yeah, in the <laughs> snow, up way, like in a up a hill both ways. It's like that doesn't make sense. But like <laughs> hill both ways. Yeah, uh, it's actually all constantly uphill. <laughs> it's just nothing but a hill. But hey, my uncle Don also did say that they were a lone lone person they yeah. barely hung out with their siblings so perchance while my uncle was taking the bus every day my dad was waking up late and walking <laughs> to school booking it <laughs> that was a lie tell us. it's just kind of like the thing of like don't stop making that face your face is gonna stay that way Oh, yeah. I believe that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's those little those little lies that parents tell their kids. It works in reverse because imagine you wanted your face to look a particular way, so you tried to like style it that way <laughs> for hours, and it never worked. And you're you like keep oh. pressing into your cheeks because you, you want, want dimples <laughs> so badly. I wanted dimples too. I thought they're so. You have dimples. No, I don't. I just have laugh lines. Okay, that's that's what it is. Yeah. My bad. My mom has one dimple. I'm like, what happened to the Give other one? Give it to me. That was kind of me when I was growing up because my dad had gorgeous black hair. Mm. My older brother and sister had black hair. And my older brother and dad were very dark skinned. I was dark skinned, but I just had brown hair. I thought I was too brown because I had brown eyes, brown hair, brown skin, and then a brown dad and a brown dog and a brown house. Oh my gosh. And there was a time time where I was living in a Dr. Zeus novel. Brown this, brown that. But I wanted black hair, jet black hair, like my siblings and my dad, Mm because I wanted wanted some you know diversity my little brother and sister they had like soft brown hair but like hazel eyes and i was just like what the heck why am i just generic (laughs) so i really wanted black hair Mm -hmm. and i started dyeing my hair black young like Mm -hmm. dyeing the hair black but i I don't know why am i even like talking about that i think like just like it's part of who you were and i wanted to design how i looked no dimples black hair and then some of my relatives had like gorgeous black hair, dark, dark skin, and crystal blue eyes. And I was, and it didn't hit my dad's generation. It was like my papa had blue eyes, dark skin, dark hair. And I was like, whoa, what an interesting Métis person. (laughs) (laughs) What if I had that? Well, that's fair. And I understand that because my family, all of us, like on my dad's side, because my mom's adopted, all of us kind of have like the same looking eye color we all have the same like brown eyes i'm pretty sure um it's the same thing where it's just like i wanted something different i wanted green eyes so badly but i did hear this can't 
Don't science me on this, okay? I, okay. I don't know this, not scientist. I just I'm gonna heard about this. I'm going to eat my miniature breadstick you, you brought me while, you, <laughs> yeah. while I don't science you on this, okay? okay. It's, it's not true science. These are just facts that have been told to me. So it's just like we're just regurgitating science facts that I've, been heard, that I've heard. Don't More know opinions, true. probably. Yeah, pretty much. That uh, I heard that people with brown eyes have an easier uh, ability to see in the dark. Yeah, right? So We superheroes? I don't know. But I heard that also there's a rumor that apparently all people with blue eyes mm-hmm. are somehow related back to one ancestor. So it's like there was this one genetic mutation and everybody was like, wow, blue eyes. And so apparently they have one genetic ancestor like from way long ago. So if there's a blue-eyed person in your family, everyone related. We knew that. Yeah, but still at the same time, it's one of those things of... Because of one genetic mutation. I knew we had superpowers, okay? I mean... I, I told you last time that I... Did I tell you in the last episode? I can't remember. What? Our conversations on the podcast blurred to me. Okay. So, on this hair-ish, yes, I wanted black hair for a time. Yeah. But then, when I saw my grandpa's and my papa's with the dark skin and pure white hair, because <gasps> it, it, it went white. Oh, okay. I want white hair because I want to be like Storm. Oh, on X Men, I want to be a superhero. So you tell me, I am a superhero. I just don't got the white hair yet. I mean, I have some stress lines happening (laughs) right now. No, they're my little wisdom hairs that I don't want to get rid of. No, it's. So what you're telling me is, I've been a superhero. We've been a superhero this whole time. Well, I mean, you said Storm originally. I went Kita from uh, Atlantis: The Lost Empire, and I thought, Oh, she's good. So pretty. Ooh, but her glass didn't her eyes like glow like white or blue when they when the powers was on? Uh, I think it was blue, or no? It, when she but she turned, got the white hair when, and the dark. Yeah, skin. when she turned completely mm. blue, I believe they were white eyes. But when she went to like first, no, I think the whole time it was white eyes because when she got sucked up by like the crystal in the sky, she <laughs> <laughs> turns into a, a retelling of like old movies. Gets sucked up by the crystal in the sky, and then everything kind of went funky, funky colors. Um... Anyway, we're on a massive tangent we, we right like, now. We like Storm. We like Kida. I mean, we could do like the platinum blonde thing, but also at the same time. I did. Oh, really? I haven't seen pictures from that time. So, I, do we not talk about every, that time? Every person in my family with dark hair, all the kids, has at one point tried to bleach their black hair and they get that carroty orange. Oh, no. I did that when I was like 11 and then I got like professional white streaks when I was graduating high school uh-huh. as a as a gift from my for my graduation oh that's wonderful and they tried their best to make it white and oh, no. I, I, I went in there like do my whole head and they're like your hair will fall out and I'm like oh that's fair <laughs> no that's fair it's like yeah, I don't think that this is the move right now yeah so um anyway that we, being said we went on like a massive tangent I love it. but I live for it we learn and yeah. we learn yeah. It's just part of it. Yeah. Learning about us and yeah. things that we learned when we were How we want to be superheroes. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? But oh, and actually, that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I could handle it. You can see in the dark. You best. <laughs> I mean, I do like that concept that I can see in the dark. But, like, better. for me, that makes, like, life worse. Because is that why, like, I can see really well at night? But because when my glasses are off, when I'm trying to fall asleep, it looks like creepy, like, monsters coming to get me. Because, <laughs> yes, I can see in the dark, but it's I still got my blurry vision from my effed up eyes. Oh, I that are in 2020. That. I understand that. Oh, my gosh. That I, jacket looks like a Sasquatch. It's like, okay, I just need to keep the eyes closed. I just can't handle it anymore. 
And I'm like, and if they are there, date me first. You know what I'm saying? I'm lonely. Come on, come on. You're You're going to be in my room. out to dinner. (laughs) Staring me down like Edward Cullen. Give me a date. Speaking of spooky spooky. Okay, yeah, we were talking. Yeah. (laughs) We were not talking about spooky spooky. We were not, but we're getting into it. Okay, let's jump into spooky. Past, this is getting confusion in the timeline of past, of deeds. In this journey. But like, okay, past podcast deeds. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is present podcast deeds but talks about talks about like oh the haunting of Lac La Biche without r- remembering that in the next interview we're getting into the haunting just a little bit yeah a little bit okay I think past present deeds wants future future deeds me yeah. to tell you a story please do please okay but so oh, also I do have a question okay what's what's your so, question. Sorry for, like, we were about D- to jump into it, and no, then I was no, like, no, no. wait, 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 hold up, hold okay, on. Okay, what's your question so you don't forget? Um, so, Haunted Church, yes. and your grandparents? I'm not it sure. It was my, pa- yeah, my papa and mama's anniversary. Yeah, they renewed their vows. So, there was a picture of a kid in, like, some of the higher... It was a picture of, like, I think the kiddos, the yeah. younger ones in our family. And then there was... In the background. You see, like, a ghosty. Yeah, apparently. Do you still have that picture? I never knew about it until that interview. We need and to contact Don Stet. We need to know whether we still have that picture. It would they be probably so still cool. have it. It would be really cool to I see have a, I have a picture like hanging up in my hallway. Mm-hmm. The one in my little family picture before my room. Yeah. Um, that little picture of me with my papa and mama and my dad and everything was there at that event. So I was there, clearly. I'm gonna go into your house and I'm gonna read. No, we're in picture. front of like a bush, no, okay. <laughs> not the church. <laughs> a so wrong you, picture. I mean, maybe there's a ghosty peeking out, but like uh, the bush was bushing. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, anyway, that was. It's just. I was wondering if you still had that photo. Or if probably you did. No, it they did. Really interesting if we were able to see it. I, I have so yeah. many childhood like photos, like from cameras that you back back in their day you had to like print off yeah. at Walmart or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, Zellers when it existed or something. Oh, good um, Zellers. Many of our pictures and our family videos use like constantly around my dad and but us too. There's so many of those little orbs, those ghost orbs. Ooh. So like in some pictures when we're like camping, there's like 50 orbs on the screen of different colors, sizes. Oh, they said sometimes when you zoom in them, you can see like the face oh. of the like spiritual being so we have orbs and then we also have orbs on some family home videos too Ooh, okay. okay. that being said you get you getting ready for this okay please tell me the story i just needed to know it's like do we have this picture that the picture is probably yeah i can probably figure it out i mean it would be interesting and we could possibly show it to the viewers if you want to Eh, that's too much work okay that's fine. uh but we can look at it (laughs) who cares the part of the fun of supernatural is no one will believe you or well the thing is about like ghost stories and what I've heard about it yeah. is if one story is true, it means they're all true. Or like Who said that? It's, it doesn't necessarily, like, if they're not all true. Bill Nye. I, I heard a <laughs> Bill Nye said it. I heard <laughs> it on a, another podcast which was absolutely phenomenal, but it, it means that if one of these stories is true then it has the possibility that means all haunting stories are true. So it just gives more of an opportunity of that door being open. So I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I don't mess with Ouija boards. Sometimes I believe in ghosts. Sometimes I don't. I have a story from my um, my mom, my biological mom, that she told me mm-hmm. about her one instance with a Ouija board. 
I don't mess with Ouija boards for like every reason possible. I'm gonna tell. Let me tell you these stories. Okay, sorry. And then I we'll, keep getting distracted. And then we'll. That's okay. <laughs> We're neuro spicy people. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk. About yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your, so let's set the scene. Story. Okay. Go ahead. This story from my dad. Okay. Spans many years. Family members might listen and be like, "That's not how it was told." Who cares about them? They're not. This isn't their podcast. This is this not is their me. story. So many times I have told stories I've been told as a kid that have stuck with me and like changed, shaped who I was as a person. Yeah. And I'll tell someone and they'll be like, oh, that's wrong. That didn't happen. And I'll be like, you didn't getting, have my perspective. You, you weren't me. Yeah. <laughs> so I get, and sometimes I believe them because I'm naive. <laughs> I don't want, I didn't want any of that to affect this. So yeah. I didn't talk to anyone. Sure. This story, like I said spans many years of my dad's life okay once upon a time in deep in a deep deep winter in the bush on the mission there was a blizzard happening outside my dad said at the time he was probably about nine or ten years old and he had a few of his siblings at the house but his parents weren't there at this point during blizzards even it's hard now to have snow removed constantly during a blizzard back then nigh impossible love that word nigh impossible to get help so his parents were out and about doing whatever they do Mm -hmm. a few of the younger siblings were home and he was watching them and it was quite dark because it dark darkness happens sooner. Yep, because winter and, and the bush, and it was just blizzarding all outside, right? And it also depends on what region you're in, because you know, Arctic Circle dark all the time in winter. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, he was sitting in the living room. I don't know if he was listening to a radio or just reading something or whatever he was doing. I think he and I. I'm very, it's, it, it, he told me this so long ago that it's hard for me to know if his siblings saw what he saw or if they were sleeping. They might have been sleeping, they might have been awake, they might have just been doing little kid things, whatever. Little kiddo things, as kiddos do. Yeah, and again, not everyone was there. Okay. He began hearing knocking. Oh. And he was confused because, again, it was blizzard night. No one could make it that far into the bush to, like, knock on the front door. Yeah. So he went running. He didn't want to open the front door, but there was this, um... I can't remember if this was there, if the mudroom was there. They, It was such a small shack when my papa and mama built it that over the years they built onto it, like, attachments and attachments. Yeah. So I think he went to see who was at the door. Didn't see anyone. And then he heard knocking at a window in the living room. Who's knocking? He went running to the window in the living room, again, didn't see anyone. Then he heard knocking in one of the bedrooms in the back. Yeah. So he goes running to the bedroom, and he sees a face at the window, staring in, and it is a gentleman in a dark hat. I don't (gasps) know if it's a cowboy hat, or a top hat, or I'm not too sure. It's pretty dark out. So you can really only see, like, the whites of the eyes and everything. Sorry, I, I swear. And then ah. he he freaks out because he's like, who's this? Pr- I don't recognize this person. He saw the so, hat man. So he shuts the curtain 
And then he starts hearing the knocking at all the doors, like in a very, very fast pace. Like the house was relatively small, but it generally would take someone to knock over here and then suddenly be at the front door knocking yeah. there. No, absolutely. So it's happening from all over that the storm is raging and blizzarding. He's scared. So he goes and grabs a blanket and like huddles up with his siblings. Again, don't know if they're asleep or awake or what's happening. And he just, he covers himself. No, for and sure. And then it gets blanket to, of protection, falls asleep, always. falls yeah. asleep. And eventually he wakes up. And his, at this point, his parents still aren't home. And it's just him and his siblings. And the blizzard has stopped. Yep. And it's fresh snow fresh all snow. outside. And he's like, who was this person? I should go, like, check to see. Because, like, he was scared. He didn't want to let this person in mm-hmm. because that's danger, stranger danger. But he was also stranger worried danger, yeah. that, like, if he goes outside, he might find a frozen body out there. So he goes running outside opens the door okay no footprints anywhere in the fresh snow nowhere he's making the prints he starts circling the house to all the windows he gets to um the living room one of the living room windows yeah and there's two hoof prints i don't like that right in the snow i don't like there was no prints anywhere else i don't like that fresh i do not like that in the least pause I told you the story spans over years, right? Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> okay, keep going. We fast forward a bit. Mm-hmm. My dad's in his early 20s. Yep. It's a snowy winter night again. He is at a bar. I don't know if it was on the mission or there around, but he was just at a bar having a drink. Um, he was by himself. He gets freaked out. Okay. This is years after, like, he first saw that incident. And he told people around, and then, obviously, like, he heard stories of, like, just, like, spirits living in and about the bush and all these things. Yeah. He he just told me that this next bit happened so quick. He was so freaked out. Yeah. He was at the bar having a drink. Have a whiskey drink? Sorry. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know where it was. He was just having a drink or a few beers, a few brewskis. And it was snowy, so he's looking to the window to be like, oh, maybe I should like start heading home or whatever. Yeah. He looks and he gets up to like leave the bar, pay his bill, leave the bar, walks towards the door. There's like a window by the door or it's on the door. Can't yeah. remember. That same face is staring at him. Oh, I don't like that. He stops. Like, looks around, looks away, looks back, and the face is still staring at him. It smiles. Oh, no. And then he, like, turns to the bartender and is like, do you see that? And the bartender's like, what? He looks back. It's gone. He goes outside. He opens the door. And there, by the windows, is, like, another trail of hoof prints. But that person, the being, the man, is nowhere to be found. He said the man looked identical to what he saw when he was a kid. Okay, okay, okay. And then he freaked out, went home, never saw him again. I am not okay. (laughs) I have been listening to another podcast where they tell scary ghost stories. And what you're describing to me, because at first when you were talking about him being out in the bush, 
Mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, there's, it brings me to this whole concept that was brought to light uh, by this video game called Until Dawn, mm-hmm. where uh, there's stories of indigenous people talking about a Wendigo by people uh, who... Oh, let's not say the W word. Oh, I didn't know that that was a bad thing. I just don't like saying... Okay, yeah, no, that's fair, because that's... The names of the beings. I don't know if it was that creature, but I remember my cousin telling me that, especially when you're outside in the dark, never say that name. Okay. it calls to it. Okay, yeah. No, that's fair, but we're also in an urban area, and so it's like, that's not going to happen here, but fingers crossed, you know? I could tell you a story of what happened to my cousin in the... I don't not- know. I, we're, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but um, yeah. as, as you described it, it sounded much more like the hat man. And so here's a thing from monstersfandom.com <laughs> describing the hat man. And I've never heard of this, by no, the way. It's, this it's, is just a story my dad told me. Yeah, no, that's younger. fair. It's just like... Because I went through a bad breakup. Hee <laughs> hee. So I decided to, uh, I wanted to be scared mm-hmm. more so than I wanted to feel sad. The hat man is a phenomenon which uh, witnesses report seeing a shadow-like entity dressed in a trench coat and a hat, usually a fedora. Many people report bumping into this entity, which it does absolutely nothing for seconds or minutes. Then it moves around for a bit and then just vanishes as if uh, you could, didn't see it. Oftentimes he's just like seen standing there. Like, there's nothing really about it. Mm-hmm. It's just standing there. I've heard it as uh, a description of he is either a harbinger of, like, just to keep you knowledgeable about what you're doing. And it's like, hey, remember that this is going on. And it's kind of like to bring you back into focus mm-hmm. of, like, something bad might happen or it could be fine. Yeah. It's just this whole concept of, like... <laughs> That rings true to everything. So it could be, you could it, be completely great or death. Or it could, yeah, because it's, the hat man is there as a warning that something bad is going to happen, mm-hmm. but you're going to be okay, or something, something just big is going to happen really soon. I personally believe in all this stuff. Like, I, I have stories from most of the people in my family. I have personal experiences, too. I got goosebumps. We, we, we won't get into it. <laughs> well, we, but I promised I promised you, I promised the audience, I'd yeah. tell you that story. Um, anyway, that's us on a little spooky moment, and I... Let's um, get back into the... I, oh <laughs> into gosh. the interview. You're so freaked out, but I, me, I'm like, I, I've been living with these stories. Uh, no, that's fair. I mean, like, there's certain things that don't freak me out anymore. Yeah. Because of what I'm used to, but still, it's... I don't <laughs> do horror. I don't. On occasion, I will listen to scary stories <sighs> and, like, spooky stories, but I'm a, like, sit... In, on a couch in the middle of the afternoon with like a blanket and sitting next to someone with me. Should I tell you a story from my family every episode? Um, I mean, that would be really interesting because if spookiness is like an overarching theme for this, I mean, it I'm could be. Real life spookiness versus like, this is why I think like for me personally, the supernatural, like I embrace it. I think it's real. I think it's natural, but I'm also not scared about it because I've lived through much worse in reality from like actual people or when i'm learning about the atrocities of this country and everything i'm like yeah sure i i've experienced spiritual things other people but eh, compared to some of this other stuff that's fair but still it's kind (laughs) of like for me i sit down i'm like okay if this bad situation were to happen to me what would i do they were pretty smart about not opening the door absolutely not Absolutely not. Checking with the bartender, do you see what I'm seeing? Yeah. Then making sure they're not there. Yeah, no. uh, uh, To get into it, 
I find just hearing him talking about being a junior elder, how he, you know, he went and participated in sweats for so long, and how he was um, given made a pipe carrier and given a name. These are things that don't follow any colonial ideals. I don't know the elder systems. He, you said that he's a junior. It's not really a system. My understanding of elders is they are people who are intentionally becoming knowledge keepers, oh. whose sole purpose is to keep the culture alive and educate and teach whilst holding on the past stories and memories and traditions from their elders in their lifeline and not every you can know someone who's extremely knowledgeable i've met people who are extremely knowledgeable who others have called them elders and they've said no i will not ever take the title of an elder because that's such such an important thing it's not about age it's It's about knowledge intent and also i guess since this person was considered an elder by people but they refuse that title they don't want to be considered an elder for these various reasons that they don't believe they're up to par to fill that role and be that person Mm -hmm. for their community um that's just my perception again i'm not versed in this and i can't speak because on it because there's so many different nations that do things differently from each other yeah this is just like my understanding that my uncle was is given a pipe made a junior elder and that just means my uncle has certain responsibilities to that community and and what they pass on okay i didn't know what that all meant because i I understood that they Mm -hmm. were they were big in the community i understood that they kept some sort of knowledge i didn't know that like what to the extent it was or all that stuff what they share with me any teachings they choose to share are teachings they have a right to share yeah too so when i was asking if i think i asked them in the podcast if it's all right that they're naming all these people in these places they're like well this person would have wanted that meaning i feel like that they said one of their one of the people who helped them on their journey passed on and so when i invited uncle to this podcast this was for me it was about their life story and all these things but to them i think a big portion of them agreeing to it is to help immortalize these teachings and pass it on to anyone willing to listen absolutely yeah that makes sense to it's um, a lot but i I can't i know and i'm trying to like answer your question but also i'm not an authority on this you're not you're not an elder you're not in that Mm -hmm. circle yet if you wanted to be i i don't think i will ever become an elder i think i will be a conduit for elders to tell their stories yeah. and okay. knowledge keepers. Okay, yeah. I think that's my role in Maybe life. That's what a, I've already been doing. But Perhaps a connector of sorts between... Conduit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was happy to hear that uh, Don had a, a good childhood from what he perceived. And he was lucky to not feel... Or I think that he probably was lucky that he didn't feel uh, the racism and segregation that you said that... Uh, his other family members may have felt. There is overt racism and subvert racism. My uncle experienced overt racism in that he wasn't allowed to participate in these sporting teams. Yeah, I was going to touch on that too. And how every... Um, how they spoke on the lack of opportunities in the community and the segregation. 
yeah. purposeful segregation in the community. I remember even when I was a kid and my brother was in the hockey team. Again, I, I don't like speaking on people's stories. I'm just speaking on my personal on experience and perspective. Yeah. Um, I believe my brother faced a lot of racism in his hockey team. I know my dad did. I know my dad had to talk to the coach more than once on including my brother because my brother would be one of the only kids who was constantly put on the bench. Oh, that sucks. And he was like the only indigenous kid in that hockey team and then when they would go out to games parents would get really violent and even recently a couple years ago I got to go and see one of my cousin's hockey games and see my uncle for the first time in a few years it was a while and my my uncle was just telling me how hard it's been lately in the season because you have this group of really talented almost fully indigenous hockey team beating everyone no matter what in the leagues and a lot of the time when they go to these events you have full-on adults parents yelling at them slurs oh no and so when my cousin came out of the hockey team he was really upset because he was like the ref was being extremely prejudiced i i i went violent on this person and i got into a fight as people do in hockey games because he was calling me slurs and then i'm the one who got in trouble that's not fair that's not fair in the slightest so this, when my uncle says, yes, they had a good childhood because obviously they're surrounded by people who they love and loves them. Yeah. Sometimes, like, you don't see the subvert racism. You experience it by, again, my uncle agrees, his opportunities were, was, were limited. They had to create opportunities for themselves. And because even when they, they yeah. They and didn't have the opportunity to even reach those opportunities. Yeah, and so for in that same sentence when they're like, I didn't experience any adversity at the school. And I'm like, in the interview, I'm like, but, but the school is the part of the reason that you weren't allowed to play on those teams. And you weren't allowed to be with them. You, yeah. You, you had to play on the outside. The indigenous kids always went to his dad because no one else would give them a chance and an opportunity. That's and then he, w- he went on to say that these kids in this baseball and hockey team were amazing athletes. They were incredible. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, like he gave up hockey because he was tired of people. He said he was pay- playing dirty Bush League hockey. Yeah. But the fighting, the violence, the tensions come from real things where people are, if my little cousin a few years ago was experiencing slurs being from the fel- the across the league hockey team and the parents and everything, at my uncle's time, it was even worse because yeah. you had talented kids coming in and stealing stealing trophies or stealing wins from people. Or perceived wins, stealing perceived wins. Mm-hmm. And it's not even stealing, it's just... A win. Earning, earning. It's, worn, it's earning, and it's it's just a win. You're not even stealing it. You're just winning. Great athletes not given a chance is what I wrote because this is so important. I think for my uncle, that was the normal. And that the, treatment was normal. And that makes sense. And, and that's why it doesn't come off as... It doesn't feel different, mm-hmm. which is unbelievably unfortunate. My uncle may personally not have felt any adversity from the peers, but they were a victim of the tensions of the school, of the segregation, of the choices opted to others, and there was no help to give the same chances. The way he talked about their talent and skill, 
that they should have been pro. They should have been. They noted. should have gotten the opportunity to they be. They should have been on the local team, not the one that was labeled as the reject kids. Yeah. Upon listening again, I did not mishear my uncle. He did say flowers originally. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> I was like, okay, hockey, flowers, yeah, yeah sure, yeah, sure, sure. Fun. We talked about the M word. There was another bad word that I didn't um, mention in that little uh, discussion. There was also the E word, the E-S-K-I-M-O, which is a derogatory term for the Inuit. My uncle was using that word to talk about the team in Edmonton, but look at the history of that word. It's derogatory. And yeah, so even in the positivities, we can still learn about the history to certain things and why it's It's, fair to change it. Yeah, and and it's, it's to note that things have had bad names throughout history. Like the hockey cheering in that sense was poorly named uh teams that still have are poorly named it's also like um when everyone was talking about uh the black lives matter movement from a few years ago it it's still going on but i remember hearing people talk about well we should rename columbus ohio because christopher columbus Mm -hmm. they made out to be a great character no. A great person for the development of the, the West and all that. And it's, it turns out he's not a good guy. No, but not a good person at all. I don't know if anything came of it, but I remember hearing rumors of uh, the town thinking about changing their name because Guy Fieri is from that town, and they were going to name it Flavortown. Okay. And I'm like, I, that is a name I that I can that. fully approve on, but... Anyway, I I also just... want to like as we're on this topic, I've heard people argue the point that oh, you're just you're also sensitive. You need to you need to stop caring about this. Bitch, no. No, it's it doesn't take much to be compassionate even yeah. if you haven't lived those experiences, even if it doesn't affect you personally. Why are you so abstinent? I don't even know if that's the word. Why are you so abstinent? It feels right. Why are you so abstinent about making these changes for people who it does affect? I don't know if abstinent is even the right word. I'd say, like, against almost. Obscene. Opposed. Why are you so opposed to making these changes? And it's the same thing as when you learn someone's pronoun. A lot of people are like, oh, oh, I I can't do it. But you, you learn a person's name because everyone deserves to have their individual name. Savvy can't come to me and say, oh, I'd like to be referred to as Savvy, and I'd be like, no, you're Rodrigo. Yeah, that's because not that's, my name. Yeah, yeah, so we're okay with that, but if Savvy's like, hey, I like to use these kind of pronouns, can you stick with them? And I'm just like, whoa, it's such a big, hard thing. Bitch, no, there's nothing wrong with being compassionate and empathetic, especially when it doesn't affect you. And it, I just... It's just... It's, the argument is so... Ugh. And it's it's kind of weird as well because if you think about it as well as if someone chooses to um change their gender and they end up saying like okay well i want to go by she her pronouns opposed to he him pronouns and i'd like to change my name to this Mm -hmm. i understand that that's going to be an adjustment for people to understand but to be dead set against it feels wrong to me if you can change your name your last name to be the married name that you are, like, if you're getting married and you choose to change your last name and you go from Miss to Mrs., mm. 
where's the big difference there? It it's it's unjust that we let people just yeah. be okay with oh well they're married now this is accepted versus oh they choose to change their gender we'll just we'll not accept that it and just, they have nothing to do with you and even if they're your closest friend you know you just go get another friend if you're that much of a bitch about these things yeah. and I'm I'm saying bitch because I really think I'm like when they're like oh you're so sensitive and I'm like but you seem to be the one more sensitive about this topic. I'm just like, cool, I'm all for making people feel comfortable in their own skin. I know that there's mm-hmm. still people out there who do not accept it, but it's I'm, also I'm not in the same yeah. belief. It's why, I, it's why I, I think it's important to speak up. History of words matter. Traditions mm-hmm. and digging into why the tradition exists and if it's pertinent to keep it going matter. Yeah. These things do matter. It doesn't make anyone sensitive to care about these things. It's important to acknowledge. It's important to discuss. It's important because for me growing up personally, having compassion and empathy for a person different from me has never taken away from my experience and has only ever opened up my world to more kindness and love. And that's the heart of it. Like words do matter. So that's why we're going to continue Talking about words. Yeah. But I wanted to jump into it as well as like oppression Mm -hmm. of keeping people poor was something my uncle experienced their entire life. My uncle's choice to join the RCMP, the way he talks about it is he didn't have the choice to go to post-secondary. Calling back to the first episode, I think we we went over that article where we were kind of getting into how that politician was like, oh, you know, since I was a prime minister percentages have skyrocketed of indigenous people joining universities clearly and we kind of like nudged in this direction that we knew this to be probably the reason why how i was like hey if anything the only reason more indigenous people are in universities is because as technology has grown is because people have taught themselves that they can get these opportunities as because and as because is not a proper term of grammar, but I'm going to keep it because I like it. We're going. As, as because the communities themselves have strived to put their young ones into universities and make efforts and struggled and fought. That's the reason that these percentages have grown. Because from my uncle's experience, he, it was not an opportunity that he could have, e- and, even though he wanted to. And also the 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 internet became more widely available. So you're able to be like, oh, student loans exist. Yeah. And oh, this exists. And learn more about, like, what's the options and opportunities near you, which is something that most people didn't have the access to if you don't have the internet or you don't have reception or, like... If you don't know how to research or ask a question, as I always say, you won't ask it. Yeah, and also, perhaps if you... I knew that when I was growing up, I would get shamed for asking what were labeled as silly questions. And if I'm just trying to figure out how something But your works, life experience isn't like that person who, who knows that information already. Yeah, exactly. And so for us to go through our lives and say like, oh, well, we're able to, more of us are going into uh, university or like more indigenous people are going into university, more young people are going into university. It's because we have the ability to look up and to learn and have the resources to search and find this information. I didn't think I would go to university, one, because my grades were pretty eh. Um, (laughs) But the main part was because I didn't feel like I could afford it, and for a long time, I didn't know that student loans existed. 
And also to take a student loan is to commit to being debt. in debt. Yeah. With my uncle, like, they didn't have the means to think of anything else. They didn't have the means to go to their own graduation and be able to afford it. Yeah, he skipped his grad to go work on the rigs. I, I think we're, I'm very passionate about this, rightfully so. I think I'm so passionate about this because I need people to understand, and again, this is my perspective. You listen to what my Uncle Don had to say for himself and his own life story. It's great. Me viewing it as his niece, as someone who has entered post-secondary, who has experienced that and everything. And from that past article where I was trying to get to the point, but I don't know if I quite got to the point, all the success students in universities who happen to be indigenous have are because of them, because of their families, their communities, working hard. It is not thanks to the government. There have been so many people left behind because they have not been afforded the same opportunity. I think there was this video that was quite popular where it showed classism and generational wealth and how certain people start in life at a certain point whereas other people have this point. Yes. And it was like, oh, this person, they're going to have a race. Okay, if I you... remember this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, and it was with um, a diverse group of people. Yeah. And they're like, okay, if you experience this in life, you're going to stay back there. Oh, if you don't have money for school, you're going to go back there. If you're going to... And it showed the proportional divide. And when you have hundreds of years of this divide happening, to the point of my uncle actually graduating, got to that point where they can't even afford a grad. He wanted something more from himself, and then he comes back to the only thing, positive thing he saw, which was being an RCMP officer. Because, we're getting into it, when they shine a beacon on, this is how you get out of your situation, this is how you make something of yourself, how you be a hero in this country. Yeah, this is how you become an icon, this is how you become a hero, (laughs) this is... And even though, he said, even though he said he uh, wanted to help people and that's why he became an RCMP officer, he wanted to become an iconic symbol. Of Canada. Yeah, he wanted to become that. Right after he said, like, that's the reason he became an RCMP officer, he immediately said, also, um, I couldn't afford to go to university and that was the only choice I had to get an education and yeah. start a career. And he wanted a pension and something stable that he knew would hold on to like that he would be able to hold on to throughout the rest of his life when you grow up in poverty it's money is in every thought you make it's in every thought i make too yeah i've heard people say that oh money doesn't mean anything to me money (laughs) isn't important and i'm sorry but money if you find money not to be an issue money isn't an issue until you don't have any once you have low to no funds that's when you realize oh Money is not an issue when you have it. Exactly. It's just, it's it's a thing. So, when my uncle entered the police, entered the RCMP, you said they're slightly different. Yeah, they're slightly different. I consider the police an extension of the RCMP, but okay. When my uncle entered the RCMP, he said he had to go the roundabout way. He couldn't enter it as other constables because he didn't have a university degree. Or, and, and he couldn't, and he wasn't bilingual. Let's yeah. look back, children, kiddos. Let's look back at, ooh, ooh, why wasn't he able to get a university degree? Why doesn't he know all three or four of his languages? When the community is not speaking it, or the schools aren't speaking it, yep, 
it's just lost. So language, not being bilingual, that was a reason. And then not in the university, which we all we just got into and talked about why that wasn't a thing. Yeah. So it's kind of like the bird and the egg. You can't get the bird without the egg, but you don't have the egg because you don't have the bird yeah. kind of situation where nothing is giving you a leg up. So they um, went what they considered the roundabout way, which was to become a special sergeant it was, was a it special classical? officer yeah a special officer i didn't know that there was a difference between the coats like why would you make that difference oh yeah the the separation like yeah. all, all these indigenous officers are going to be in their brown um i think they called it surges yeah and i didn't and know then what the red were. surges that are typical to the rcmp that we all see them as the red mountie police yeah you didn't you had that separation so it's almost if they okay if an organization wanted to diversify to truly welcome people in and create community and connections and relationships, rather than have a separation of a coat, it would make more sense in, as a unified front to have the same uniform across the board. Yeah, so there's no difference. It would no make difference. more sense for everyone to be paid equally across the board. You wouldn't segregate them. You would have non-Indigenous settler or colonizer (sighs) with ancestry mixed in with indigenous people in a diversified troop so that the non-indigenous can learn from the indigenous and the indigenous can learn about the non-indigenous and that's how you can meet it you don't just say oh let me have this brown speck right here in my sea of red Uh, and they're the only ones doing any of the cultural work or the work to learn about these communities because we also talk about this. I'm so passionate about this. My uncle does not have the, clearly, barely was taught their own culture in schools. They weren't taught about other indigenous communities, yet they were expected to do the work to go into the communities and learn about the community's traditions and create a connection to them. And my uncle did that work, meaning non-indigenous officers could have done that work if they gave a damn. It doesn't make sense. And those people that they're throwing in, they're putting them with different communities that they don't know about. So they're doing, so my uncle said, they were doing three times the work. They were not only um, policing their own districts within these indigenous communities. They were being cultural carriers and connections, conduits. They were having to do all the work of learning and be that go-between between the rest of the RCMP and them. Yeah. They also had to um, go to non-Indigenous communities and police non-Indigenous communities, too. Yeah, and, and then be in the schools. schools. Be in the schools as another cultural connection doing yeah. lessons. They were not paid as much. They were paid, like, below half the amount. I thought it... Yeah, and they weren't given the same resources. And then they were made to wear a different shirt to separate them. Like, how, does so that, doing, how is that not segregation? And my uncle, my uncle mentioned that... They took the resources intended for these, so they created these programs or these Indian troops, they took the resources intended for them and used them in other districts that weren't indigenous communities. So you have a person, so we, we, we've, we've established it was really fucked up. There was a lot of segregation and racism within the, my uncle's experience, right? Yeah. We've established that. On top of that, my uncle realized that this image of the iconic hero, the Red Mountie police, they come to learn that the history of the Red Mountie police 
that RCMP. wasn't even taught to him. Yeah, the history that has existed that probably isn't in most schools because I didn't know about this. I didn't know about Suddenly, it Suddenly, these people that were iconic symbols of justice, and I, I read through some of the articles as we were listening to the interview, there are some articles where still within the RCMP, they paint it as, oh, they were, they were created to help protect the indigenous people, when really they were created to further... Divide? Segregate? Conquer? Oppress? Oppress. Oppress is the word. They were actually used as a device and tool to oppress after treaties were signed. It was the RCMP taking kids away from their families and putting them in residential schools. It was the RCMP enforcing treaties. It was the RCMP um, arresting people for performing ceremonies. It was the RCMP. And my uncle didn't know, and I didn't know as a kid. In his mind, he saw Owen become this hero. On top of all this stuff he has to deal with from the RCMP, becoming an RCMP officer, he returns home and has to be on the end of that tension, arresting his own family. And his the people that he grew up with. Without given, being given the resources. And by resources, I mean more people. I mean programs where you can come into the community, develop programs to help them heal, and have where the true history is actually taught, whilst having the RCMP acknowledge their, atro- their place in these atrocities over time. None of that was taught to him to prepare him, so he comes in with all of this, and as he said, it took him until he was like, he's 68 now, and reflecting back on his career, he now understands why his own family or his own community did not treat him well when he returned as an officer. And that makes so much sense as to why it was, he said that that was probably one of the most difficult things that he had ever done because... He's put in the fire without knowing how that fire began. Yeah, and he's there and he thinking that he's going to go back to be a hero at home. And help. Here, here you are with this situation of wanting to do good, but realizing that this this is this is hurting me this is hurting my friends when you have an organization set on diversity and wanting to reconcile or whatever they're claiming to do i'm air quoting with that and it's not indigenous led no one is there culturally to protect the people entering those programs to be the change no one is there to protect them my uncle and the members of that troop were taken advantage of not paid enough, not given resources, not giving support, and having no one to lead them culturally to protect them as they face these real things. Not even having enough, and all of this surmounted to him for the most of it, being he said he was burnt out. He had no time to develop programs to help. He had no time to be the hero in the community he wanted to be. He just had to abide by the laws and no time to even maybe question those laws or why this criminal activity is happening so much until after he retired. Because he said that it was, he, you asked if he was, uh, if he thought about it very much and he said, he no, said, I'm too busy solving crime. I, like, had to, I had to work. I had no time. And, and again, these programs still not indigenous led at that point. A lot of the people, like my uncle, and it go, it'll go. it probably happen in the future episodes, chapters, oops, <laughs> in the future chapters, we get into discussing how my uncle and a lot of the 
his peers were the ones to create these programs. It's because they had to be created. And they needed to be created because if they don't have the programs for the people, by the people, then it's not going to work. It feels just like someone set a new bunch of rules on you without explaining why. Yeah, or giving you the tools to help the community heal from these rules. So there are tensions. Like what me, clearly, like in the interview, clearly now, I'm not a fan of the RCMP. There are so many things I can speak about about their interactions with indigenous communities that are so wrong. Not only indigenous communities, so many other communities that they have failed time and time again. And then there's the whitewashing of history of saying, oh, we're here to protect when the communities know, like, no, you were you were there to put us in jail and take our children away. There's yeah. nothing you protected us from. And even now, there are communities fighting to have the treaties re-looked at because none of the treaties were, they weren't honored on the side of the government. It wasn't, so all this tension, all this anger, all this frustration, all this hate and hurt. My uncle didn't have a chance to affect change. At that point in his life, yeah. Because he needed the money, he needed the the stability of a job, he needed a pension. And there was, if you're faced with no other options and you view this icon of something that you wanted to be when you were a little kid, well, it seems like a good option if you know that it's going to be... Well, it's the one option that'll accept you. Yeah. Although and... not, you have to jump through hoops to get the same pay and the same surge and all these things like others. It's, it's unfortunate that it, has, it was that way. But if that's the only cards that you're dealt then I guess you either play the game or you step back and play a different one. Just because it's, if that's how the the system is set up, then you have to be able to work around it or find your own way through it. Unfortunate as it is that if that's the way that you have to work with it, then that's the way that they worked with it. So in systematic systems, in systematic yeah. systems, racism, so in eloquent, system. in systems... In infrastructure, still tapping my book here, in, in very ASMR, in infrastructure purposely designed for a country to assimilate all populations and oppress people. that are, still exist, it is hard to dismantle things. So we will never be able to dismantle the police, the RCMP, the government, or education, or the health center health uh, infrastructures, these are four infrastructures, religion too, we won't be able to dismantle these things. When people are screaming defund the police and all these things, it's not to dismantle, it's to, it's to do the work that would have protected my uncle at their time. I guess what I'm trying to get at is when you want to affect change in your country and you want to fight against all these adversities in these systematic infrastructures, you can. There are people who can do it from outside, but there must be people who do it from the inside. It mu- the change must come from within the system itself. Even if that change is tearing down the original system, the yeah. tradition. If, if, yeah, it's just... If the tradition and the system is bad, like, if you find out that there's... If there's a way to do things better, but, oh, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah, but the way that you've always done it has caused much pain much mm-hmm. hurt, much oppression, why, why would you stick with that? If you know that 
okay, well, it's time for me to walk and I have a rock in my shoe. Well, I can't remove the rock. It's tradition for everyone in my family to walk with a rock in their shoe. Yeah, but that's still going to cause you pain. And if you can't take off your shoes at the end of the day or if you've been walking for ages, you don't think that that's going to cause a blister or some sort of pain or some sort of illness perhaps in the future. Like, it's important to change what is hurting our people. And here's the thing. If you don't even know to look for why something needs to be dismantled, you don't understand that it needs to be dismantled, that this doesn't need to be the norm. So it's important to question. It is important to question, but when, again, I always say this, if you don't know the questions to ask, you will never get them answered. You will live in it, thinking it is normal. I guess my reason why I'm saying this is my whole life up until now, again, I've had a tumultuous relationship with RCMP, I've been at the end of police and RCMP doing wrongful identification checks and stopping me and pulling me aside. I've witnessed my friends go through this while having an uncle in the RCMP. I've known from my uncle, and he'll, he'll, he and I will probably get into it, I've known the good he's done under the RCMP. I know the communities and the connections he makes. He wouldn't have known half the people in his life. He wouldn't have gotten a chance to meet them if he wasn't an RCMP officer. But it didn't need to be so hard for him. I've told peers of mine that my uncle was a, is a retired RCMP officer, and they have cringed. They've been uncomfortable. And that's like the same sentiment and feeling family members and community did to him when he first started. In the interview, my uncle clearly knows and has learned why people didn't perceive his life choices and who he was as an RCMP officer as a good thing. I've talked with friends who have said, Indigenous police officers and RCMP officers are super assimilated people. They're people who have given in to assimilation. And I can see why they say that. But just hearing my uncle's story, from his perspective, it's like that change from within. And like I said, like there's change from outward. There's change you can do outside of an infrastructure, whether it is to safeguard yourself or you're just like so not with it that you don't want to give any of your energy to it try and dismantle it from the outward. But there are people doing changes from within. For people who are going into education, I'm in academia, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm a master's student technically. That's why I have an office here and everything. I don't consider myself academic. I think I'm kind of dumb. But like, you're not dumb. <laughs> I'm in academia. Okay, people could be like, oh, you're... You're getting, you're assimilating because you're giving in to this infrastructure. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm trying to like pressure it from the inside and, and dismantle that. Yeah, you're trying and to then learn there are police and officers. Too. There are police officers and there are doctors and there are people going into all fields in our country, indigenous people going into all fields as they rightfully deserve to, not because they are trying, they're allowing their assimilation to happen or colonization to happen. It's because these infrastructures aren't going away. But I'm going to question the law, and I'm going to question the RCMP, and question the fuck out of that history, because, ha damn, they, they'd be taking advantage. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's unbelievable how much advantage has been, like, like, how many people have been taken advantage of in any sort of community, but particularly in any community that is not white, so, or not Caucasian, if that makes you feel more comfortable in hearing that, but it's just... People have to work around it, and it sucks that... My uncle admitted to knowing that 
after the fact, after they were able to leave and think on their experiences within Hobima or many of the communities, they knew that the reason those violent crimes existed was because of residential schools. And the generational trauma and the abuse. Lack of programs, lack of funding, lack to of help for mental healing. health and resources. Lack of acknowledgement yeah. that it even happened. That's the basis for all of this. And Still, people don't want to acknowledge that this these actually things happened. happened. Like, it can even, you can go all the way back to, oh, Thanksgiving. No. <laughs> no. 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 That, that's, it's not good. Like, People don't want to admit to it, and people still want to gather and eat and celebrate, but it's like, that was a day of genocide. And again, hello, I talk about my lack of knowledge. My uncle had bad lack of knowledge, but still, as someone in the RCMP, once they learned these things, they didn't deny them. They learned and grew with it. Yeah. And and saw how they could do better. And teach people as you go if you're safe to and if they're willing and open to receiving it and also if you're willing you just because it's not your job to for teach the people everybody, who right? know everything for the people living and surviving through these atrocities on the day-to-day you do not it is not your responsibility to educate people who never experienced these things it's not it is honestly it's when you're an ally, <laughs> sorry that I'm, I'm an ally. When I am an ally, <laughs> it is my responsibility to educate people on the people I care about, who I'm trying to become an ally for. And that's, in that same respect, I'm here educating people, I, I guess. <laughs> well, we're here right now educating people on your uncle's story. Yeah. And it's important to realize that these things did happen as uncomfortable as they are. We're still teaching people, but also have space for yourself. If you do not have the time or space or mental capacity Mm -hmm. to teach people, if you don't have... That is why my uncle had to step back and no longer... He was experiencing burnout. He used the term, me and a lot of the fellow officers felt pigeonholed into these indigenous communities or these reserves. Again, they were majority indigenous. So you have the RCMP saying, yeah, we're going to throw indigenous people with indigenous communities because we don't want to do the work. And we don't want to understand and learn. We don't want to face it. So, But they're, they're, they exist as that, so they're, they're good, right? Not even being like, hey, we should all learn. Mm-hmm. We should all make an effort to do this together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really... It's, it's a hot topic of people need to learn this stuff regardless of where you're from and the historical relationship between the RCMP and indigenous communities that were not taught at least in my uncle's school in my school and what was purposely put in what what was glamorized what was was it pro- what was the propaganda the country was using to spew this nonsense that oh my gosh Canada we no we're not racist over here we don't got our we don't got issues over here what was that propaganda, uh, right? So Canada was labeled as a Christian country or a Christian <laughs> colony. I'm gonna I'm gonna put some links to some articles I looked into because we talked to I talked a lot about like oh that history, but I didn't really get into it because we are coming we've to gone, a time we've, we've gone, gone way over. over. Um, super funny that my uncle participated in a sweat in a full on uniform. That was funny. It was that like, was man's lasted at that. for two songs. <laughs> laughed so hard at that. Um, yeah. Um, and you know what? 
you know, I joked with my uncle being like, look at me interviewing you. Look at me being the RCMP officer. It's you, yeah. the indigenous man, and whatever. But I'm like, hey, hey, uncle, I, I, I know it's a funny thing. I know people are going to laugh at that. But, you know, if anything, that sweated out of you, <laughs> this ideology of the uniform. And that definitely, like, to me, I'm like, ooh, that was a sign from creator that ain't nothing smooth and easy with the RCMP like they pretended it is. <laughs> like, ain't nothing yeah, no, as happy like, and jolly. So let's give you, let's, let's give you a little bit of, let's, what let's give a you a sign. little bit of a wake up here. You're going to sweat it out because, oh my gosh, it's so hot in here. I'll put some articles with this while I also remember to put the previous articles we mentioned earlier. Um, I will say I'm on the RCMP's official page for Canada. Mm-hmm. They definitely are biased to how they put things, how they view they were created. They say that the government of Canada established the North, Northwest Mounted Police, which would become the RCMP in 1920. The NWMP police officers were considered agents of the Crown enforcing federal policies, policies and legislation. The enforcement of federal policies and legislation was the... Um, Enforcement of treaties, uh, of the reserve pass, of arresting anyone who performed their ceremonies on their reserves, uh, taking children and putting them in residential schools. 1990, the RCMP forms the Commissioner's National Aboriginal Advisory Committee. In 1990, residential schools are still open at this point, folks. It seems like long ago. It's very recent. It's And a lot of it from my uncle's perspective, is steeped in politics and unfair biases. 1994, the Aboriginal Pre-Cadet Program begins. It allows Indigenous candidates to spend three weeks at a depot to learn policing skills. Also, do you hear the, the change in the language? They stopped calling them Indians. Mm-hmm. It, they start calling them First Nations police officers. Yeah, It's not... They've changed the language, so it's just it's interesting to hear the shift throughout it. The next thing to happen, and this is like again on their webpage, it's a it's literally like I think they title it their relationships with indigenous communities throughout the time throughout their history. Uh, Two thousand and three, the I RCMP was, I was four. the RCMP identifies Aboriginal communities as a strategic priority. Oh, finally, we're a priority of helping. Yeah, but oh, is it really helping? Are you giving and what's enough strategic? Resor- are you giving enough resources? What's going on? 2004, RCMP commissioner, some person, publicly apologizes for the RCMP's role in the residential school system. 2004. That, I was nine. That's kind of a, a time. That's That wasn't... 2006, the RCMP creates the Aboriginal Community Constable Program. It becomes the Community Constable Program in 2013. Wow. Because maybe by 2013, people are like, why are you still segregating Aboriginal people within your infrastructure? I wouldn't even say, like, until the 2010s. Or maybe it just, like, come off as segregation then. I think when people started really waking up to this, it was around the 2010s up into 2020 when people were actually realizing that, hey, this is still really happening and very present. And generally, people listening might be like, oh, this all sounds really positive. Think about what they were actually doing as they were establishing these so-called things and who it actually helped and how it actually still further divided. 
we'll learn more about this with my uncle's story. But clearly, even as these things were happening and my uncle was still in the police, clearly all these so-called positive things weren't positive things. They were going about things the wrong way. Because they didn't have the proper training, skills, and management, and tools, and resources to help communities. Or that makes it seem like oh, it's because we didn't fund the police enough. Well, it's because they chose not to allocate those fundings to these indigenous communities. You're right. And it's, yeah. it's also the systematic racism. Yeah, yeah, as well. yeah. that's the thing. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. This is what it is. We've talked about a lot. And I think it's time that we take a breather. I think it's time that we say goodbye. Yeah, take a breather, say goodbye for today. And yeah. as I was reading that, I was laughing, but I, I think I talked about in the interview how I laugh at uncomfortable things. And so do I. And truths. Because it's but often I, a I laugh mechanism. because Yeah, I laugh because I'm nervous, but I also laugh because I find it so ridiculous. With what I know now, I laugh at things that are atrocious, yes. But because they're so stupid, like why did it, it didn't have to be this way? It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. And it's a shame that everything turned out the way that it did. And we're learning so that we don't proceed with the same type of hurt towards other generations and other communities. Or with... naivete. And yeah. really, like, the point of this is have some compassion. All right, that was a lot. Let's breathe in. Breathe out. One more time. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. We did the thing again. What was it? We did we did the dang thing with the the, the the podcast and the thing. Yep, we did. But you know, that's that's how it do sometimes. It's it's good. We did the thing. Yeah. I learned a lot again. <laughs> so did I. It was it's always an eye-opener being able to sit here and chat with you about all of these different subjects but thank you for having me here i always appreciate it thank you for being here and also like thank you to the audience for taking some time out of this is gonna be another long one i think this is gonna be even over two hours well i mean you'll do the editing you'll see where it needs to be changed we'll see what makes it and what doesn't Mm -hmm. and you know what you know what Sometimes it's I'm just cool needed. with it. It's sometimes it's just needed. Sometimes you need to chill like four hour podcast. Hey, if if you talk about real serious things, if it's important to sit and understand things, and then you're able to break it up into chunks and say, oh well, mm. we didn't we didn't cover this subject here. With the occasion, <laughs> I just had a funny dark humor joke. Oh, what, <laughs> are we gonna hear it? Talking about real atrocities with the occasional ghost story <laughs> in yeah. the mix. To keep you guessing. <laughs> you never know. You never know what you're getting. Who was worse? The tall hat man? Or the Canadian government? <laughs> um, um, I'm not going to speak on that, but it's like... Do it. We don't, speak on it. No, we, I don't want to talk about spooky, spooky things because it's nighttime. One gives not... you happy chills that you seek out after the end of a relationship. I seek out neither. One... <laughs> <laughs> I will one, not look one gives for police. you the, I will not look for ghosts. The horror you I like. I am good. Thank you. One gives Goodbye. you the the horror you definitely don't need. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're we're getting lost in it. Uh, learned a new word that your uncle uses. Caboodles. Oh.
Love that word. We had caboodles of fun oh talking today. Oh my gosh, there's so much caboodles we, of we, fun. We, we listen to caboodles of story. They're caboodles of ghosts. Yes. So, anyway, back to it. Thank you for having me. Thank you, dear audience, for listening to Your us. Your audience, our audience. Oh, dear audience, for, for listening to us. I said us. No, you said thank you to your audience for listening oh, to us. me. Well, let's go back again. You're a part of this. All right, well... Thank you for taking time out of your day for having me on this podcast. And thank you to your audience. You still said it. Well, it's for, it's it's most I'm I'm the feature. You're it's your you're the headline. Okay. Let's try this okay. again. We're going to have confidence in okay. ourselves, savvy. Thank you to our audience for listening to our podcast and learning with us on this journey. It's you deep, go. It's deeply appreciated that you were able no, to No, no, say the thing. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, don't thank me. Thank the audience. Thank you, audience, for listening to us Mm -hmm. as we go through these learnings together. It's deeply appreciated. On on our podcast and (laughs) on our learning journey together here. Uh, Thank you, Deets, for having me here. I enjoy being here with you as always. And uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Calgary Arts Development, (laughs) because... They, if without their support for this, we wouldn't be able to learn in such a way and share it with everyone who's listening mm-hmm. about all of the things that we're learning from Dawn and about just history of people and of Canada and different perspectives. Dang. It was a long one, but... Okay. Good. The goal is snug over three hours, I think, all for right, this podcast. Right, That's right. my goal. So thank you. Thanks okay. everybody for thanks for joining out. us. Uh, yeah, stick around for our next podcast, our next chapter. I'm gonna get that language in there. Happy to be here. Happy to happy to listen. And honestly, why am I so happy? Even though we just talked about a lot of like serious stuff. Because. It was done with open hearts and minds and with friendship and wanting to learn. Like, the, I don't know, it's just, it felt good. So, this feels anyway, good. We're feeling good. Everything's feeling good on our ends. Have we a good rest. You're feeling good as well. Have some food. Breathe. Drink water. Do some stretches. Dismantle the systems of oppression around you, but have a laugh while you do it. Yeah, just take a look around and question your own biases and question the system's bias as well. Mm-hmm. And if someone has a hockey team called the Flowers, you know, power team. <laughs> that's the most badass name it could be. All right, well, I guess that's us for today. All right. Okay, thanks for joining us at Downtime with Deeds. Featuring Shabby. Goodbye. Goodbye. Spooky ghost stories. I'm not ready for more of that. (laughs) It's soup season. Spooky season.